Okay, welcome everyone to episode eight of the Dimensional Cascade podcast. Uh, coming at you from the shoreline, Washington. This is uh, Aiden here in the dungeon. I've got with me Ricky, Tom, and I'm back. I'm Taylor. Hi. Yeah, Taylor, back in the house. Boo. Well, I mean, I mean, well, I kind of live here. That's but. true, but you never, never really <laughs> leave. But, but you're actually, you know, it's true. I'm like a bad rash. <laughs> 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 on that shiny happy note uh so tonight's uh tonight's podcast uh we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the new releases that have come out from games workshop um, yeah <laughs> yes maybe a little bit about the widows not very much uh we're going to keep that for after i've you know smacked everybody around a little bit and uh, uh we can do a proper book review um but uh we'll definitely talk about that a little um uh, we've got um some tournament news to talk about um but uh, the Art of War tonight will be a discussion about Fast Cavalry. Yeah, so that's partially because the uh, Wood Elves have come out, um, partially because Taylor has now switched to using Dark Elves. I was getting real talk about the Dark Elves Fast Cav. <laughs> yeah. Uh, partially because Tom always uses Fast Cav. Do I? Well, a little tiny bit. No, a little, little bit. Little tiny bit. Well, on the Chaos Dwarfs, he does. Yeah. Just the tip. He does. <laughs> <laughs> Just All the right. tip. And, uh, um, Just because there's something that is becoming more and more prevalent throughout the game, it seems. Yeah, Especially for sure. with, with, you know, Dark Elves and Wood Elves who can field armies of almost entirely fast Kev. Yep, yep. It's definitely worth devoting a bit of time to them yeah so we'll be talking a bit about how to play with them and how to play against them and uh and then our hobby horse i'm glad to get back to uh uh having our hobby section in the in the podcast with the last two episodes it's been all war and no hobby wasn't it just two um, weeks of talking about how awesome dwarfs were it, it was two weeks of dwarfs but uh you know that technically came under the art of war um so um we've got a fairly meaty hobby horse section uh, this this week around <laughs> Oh my God! Mr. Hands horse, horse. Meat. <laughs> IQ level in this room is about. Anyway, I've uh, really done a whole lot horse, to horse yeah. in a good way. Hung yeah. like a hobby horse. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Meanwhile, back in reality land, um, <laughs> and we've lost Ricky. So uh, the hobby horse section this week is going to be about uh, green stuff and uh, I love it. yeah, using using green stuff for conversions. Um, we, we will probably talk for as long as we can about it uh, without going into like full on how do you sculpt from scratch. Yeah, right. um, but we're, we're mostly talking about making nice modifications to miniatures rather than kind of redesigning them entirely. Yes. Which maybe we'll get to on, in, a later, in a later podcast. But, but this time around, it's, it's mostly about uh, uh, simple conversions um, leading to, you know, slightly more complex ones. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that is the outline for today's show. Um, and we are, of course, going to start with The Pit. The Pit. The Pit. The Pit. Sigvald was once the son of a powerful warlord king whose dark desires led him to carnal and unnatural acts. When a child was born from the union of the warlord and his own sister... So bastard infant was handsome indeed. Yes, I was. It was. It was true. His hair, and, and by that I mean my hair, was spun like gold, and his skin was unblemished, save for a tiny horned birthmark on the back of his neck. Yeah, it's because I'm so horny. At first, Sigval's every wish was made manifest. 
However, the prince's excesses eventually grew too obscene even for his father, and when his fondness for human flesh was discovered, Sigvald was banished. The boy prince feigned dismay, but when his father retired for bed, Sigvald slew him with his own blade. <laughs> oh my god, I hate this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I want him to die. I will be actually sad when he leaves because we'll never do the voice again. <laughs> Shadowblade is still relatively young, having known less than two years of Malachi's rule. His reputation, however, is legendary, and his arrogance is as bottomless as the sea. Fables of his grisly adventures are already used as stories to scare dark elf children. A litany of murder and terror that grows longer and bloodier with each passing day. Shadowblade's most famous exploit was the slaughter of the entire crew of a high elf hawk ship, one by one. Over a period of several days, only the horribly mutilated captain was left alive so that he could tell of the mounting horror on the ship as the crew desperately attempted to corner Shadowblade to no avail. Cool. That's way cooler than Sigvald. Oh yeah, it's, it's great. Oh, I'm going. I'm going to get a spanking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boat party. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in the pit, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we've got uh, Sigvald and uh, Shadowblade. They are 24 inches apart. Uh, we're playing this out like a regular game of Warhammer. Um, so we've covered Sigvald's rules in a previous episode, yep. but let's uh, let's go over the rules for Shadowblade there. All right, uh, you want me to just list numbers and uh, then go down list? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, all right. So, movements, uh, Shadowblade, uh, movement six, weapon skill 10, ballistic skill 10, uh, strength four, tough three, two wounds, initiative 10, three attacks, and leadership nine. Does he have anything to throw? With he has nothing to skill? throw. Oh, yeah, he's got nothing. Well, it's right. just like the Bloodthirster. Yeah. I mean, it's ballistic like, it might be skill like a 10. Yeah. Thing or something. Can't I don't do know. Anything. I haven't looked into a 40K it. 40k Dark Elf? It, yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. something. It's just to look impressive. It's I like, think, oh, uh, check uh, out the size of my ballistic games. skill. Yeah. yeah, but don't other assassins in the book have that mm. same? Um, they have sure. throwing weapons, I think. So I think it's just like. Yeah, that's probably all it is. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, uh, let's read a special rule. Okay, so special rules as a killer, not a leader. Which makes it so that a unit that he is in cannot use his leadership. Uh, not relevant for the pit. Nope. No. Uh, ASF. So he's got rerolls. Standard elf. Uh, Hatred high elves. Mm -hmm. Which is not Sigvald. Uh, he's hidden. So he's hidden in a unit. But Shadowblade is so awesome that he can actually, at the beginning of each turn's movement phase, switch between units. Mm. And it's not because he's just super fast or anything. It's just because his disguise was so good. That he's not actually where everyone else thought that he thought that they thought that he was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. Awesome. I like so that. So you just got to yeah. make a note So one unit of Dark Elves runs into combat thinking that Shadowblade's there to look after them. They're like, <laughs> crap, they're like, they're like, <laughs> We got this. He's disguised as a horse. Uh, okay. What else have you got? Um, he's immune to psychology. Uh, he's got murderous prowess, so he's re-rolling wounds on one. Okay. Um, and he's got poison attacks. Uh, okay. That's just all naturally. So, uh, so his equipment now. Uh, yep. So he has Dance of Doom, which is a five of board. Um, hidden special rule, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, uh, Forbidden Poisons. He's got all three of them. Uh, the Black Lotus is whenever he wounds a character, they get minus one leadership for the rest of the game. Uh, the Dark Venom, I believe, is killing 
explode. Let me just make sure. Uh, Dark Phantom's Killing Blow and Manbane is plus one to wound. Mm. Mm, interesting. Wow, that's solid. And does he choose uh, which one he's going to use at the start of combat? No, he gets them all. He has all three. Oh, all the yeah, he, time. so he it's plus one to wound and Killing Blow. Yeah, mm. yeah, he's got all of them. He's, he's dangerous. What was the third one? Minus one leadership if he doesn't. Uh, oh, the first one was Black Lotus, which is minus one leadership whenever you wound a character. For each wound or one or more wounds? Each wound. Interesting. Um, so he has some magic items. Uh, he has the Heart of Woe, which is an enchanted item. And if he's ever slain, you place a small round template above him. And then everything underneath that template gets a strength three hit. Um, okay. And then he's removed as a casualty after that strength three hit is resolved. Um, and he also comes with a free potion of diabolical strength. Mm. What does that mm-hmm. do? Oh, yeah. What? It's plus four strength. Nice. For a turn of combat. Yeah, yeah so solid. he becomes strength eight with plus one to wound. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's re-rolling ones, so he's yeah. pretty much always... Well, I better hope it works, because at only two wounds, he's going to get... Yeah, so, so yeah. this could be a, a simultaneous uh, death here. And so let's see what happens. Hopefully mm-hmm. he killing blows Sigvald. Okay, so we have... Who's rolling for Sigvald? Uh, Whose R- turn is it? Well, Ricky's normally rolls <laughs> for no. Sigvald, but he wants nothing to do with Sigvald I'm not anymore. Touching so him I guess anymore. I'm doing... All right, it's all you, all right, Tom. Tom for Sigvald. Can I get the rules for we'll Sigvald? We'll roll to see who goes first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we've got uh, Taylor rolling for Shadowblade. Okay, okay so let's uh, roll off the Sigvald first turn. Oh, oh, six for Sigvald Sigvald's and three. Oh, yeah, okay, so the first thing you got to do is roll your stupidity check there. <laughs> oh, am I too pretty to move? No, I'm no, not. I'm okay. No, not he's really hooking. Okay. okay, so he rolls a three he's for too stupidity. Pretty, but he still moves. Yeah. I'm still pretty. <laughs> Look at these golden locks. Um, all right, I'll just move for full eight inches. All right. Sigvald used all eight of his inches. <laughs> 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 okay so they're now 16 inches apart yep <laughs> and, and your move you i've got movement six i don't think i can roll a 10 off the bat uh, and you go got, on. you've got movement four uh, go on so i'll move up th- three Ooh, okay Ooh, so they're 13 inches away yeah 13 13 inches. 13 inches away i'll need a seven to make the charge yeah okay so uh, i need a, a stupidity a check yeah, stupidity check I'm not stupid. You're not dumb. Right. I'm going to charge because I'm going to charge. Bald, All right. Of course. And you're magnificent. Boom! Oh, make sure charge. He makes a nine. We're just going to move him. We're going to move him. We're just move him. Uh, there we go. some good, good fun there. They're though. touching butts. No, I hate this dude. I hate Sigvald. You know, the really cool thing about right the Shadow Blade figure is he's leaning over the top of, yeah, he's, of he the He looks like he's literally about to plunge he's like, his knife He's lunging over. Like his, it's yeah. pretty, it actually looks really cool. He I'd like to like get a photo of that. We should get a photo of that because it looks yeah. like he's going to get his knife into Sigvald's yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. Well, I'll, ta- I'll take a photo. Yeah, if you uh, can I take a shoot proper one in the Yeah, when I shoot a Shadow Blade, I'll do that. What? Do you have ASF? I do, yeah. So we're going to go Simo. I'll let you roll first. Okay, so they both have ASF, so simultaneous. Are you um, using your potion this round of combat? Yeah, I have yes. to. Oh, yeah. That's have to the answer. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, what's your tough? It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, uh, I'll use my potion of diabolical strength. Put me up at strength eight. And you've got four attacks? Yeah, I've got four attacks. So they're uh, two-handed weapons. Weapon skill ten. Yeah. Oh, Weapon right. skill okay. ten. So you're hitting on threes? Hitting on threes. With no re-rolls, though. Roll no re-rolls. some dice. All right, go for it. 
And Shadow Blade rolls and hits with three of them. Three, three fours three and a one. Three fours no and a one. No poison, though. No poison. No, no poison. poison. All right. Mm-hmm. Rolling to rolling wound. To wound. Why doesn't he, he... He doesn't get hatred? Hatred's to wound, though, right? Is that what it I is? I got two sixes and a one, which I'll re-roll the oh, ones. That's Sixes, two, two killing blows. That's two, two killing, killing blows. blows. Two killing blows yeah. and oh. a wound. And a wound. Two killing blows and a wound. And I get no armor save against No, this? no armor save no against armor killing... Saves. No, there's no armor save against killing blow anyway. No, no, no regen no, against killing blow. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. There's no armor reward save. No, no, you get no, ward saves. There's just no regen. No regen. Does it say that specifically? Specifically says no regen. Okay, so I'm dead, but let's see. Is he dead? Is he got? Is his is his ward save as a regen? He has regen, yeah. Oh. No like ward save? No nothing? Oh, so you, you guys. You chopped off my head. I know it's gone for a while, but uh, <laughs> I came back and kicked the shit, crap right. out of Sigvald. Right. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty good. Oh. Yeah, yes. okay. Yeah, so we'll just see if Sigvald kills him also. Okay, simultaneous strike also. back. All right. Thank God he's dead. That's the important part. Hold on, okay, hold on. So... Hold on. Make, armor, make, 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 a, make a regen against that wound. The one wound? The one, no, wound. The one wound. Nah. No, right. he fails. Three yeah, killing, cool. three deaths. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to make seven attacks back at you. Oh, there's so many. Taste, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you're going to do it, probably. Not like that. No. Only no. two hits. Only two hits. Two hits. All right. Hits. I'm, only, okay. I'm only tough three. Tough three. All right, so we're winning on twos. Twos. Yeah, strength five. Two wounds. Two okay, wounds. five up ward. Five up ward. All right. Nail one of them and you've made it. All right, five up ward with Shadow Blade. This is going to suck if Shadow Blade sur- like, survives. Oh, no, it'll be what? fine if he survives. No, we're going to kill him. Oh, well, with a bow from a distance. Oh, he, he dies. Survive. He dies. A one and right. a two on his a ward saves. A one and a two on the ward saves. All right. Yeah. Uh, first oh, hold on, hold on. He's going to explode. <laughs> there's there's nothing right. there to wound. All right. All right, strength three hit. There's nothing there to wound. He it does wounds. another wound. It wounds. It wounds. <laughs> Insult to injury. You get armor save. You got this. No, it rolls a <laughs> one for his regen? armor save. You get a regen. regen? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not a single one. Uh, Tom right. just rolled two ones in a two row, one for armor save, one right. for regen. So, so Sigvald was definitely destined to die tonight. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Shadowblade has unfortunately died as well. But it's all right because he's a killer, not a leader. Okay, so So we're going to take it to heavyweight next time, right? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about what might happen. We thought this might happen just looking at the math. Uh, it was it was pretty good chance that Shadow Blade was going to kill him and not survive. I mean, fifty fifty chance with three rolling ones. Yeah, you got so. a pretty good chance. So uh, what we decided to do was, if they both died simultaneously, we would we would switch from the lightweight class of infantry into the heavyweight class of of monsters and uh, uh, maybe monstrous cav or. Um, even potentially some of the the uh, heavier weight cavalry models. Who knows? Um, I think what we're looking at for the next pit is, ooh, uh, we think we were talking about Durthu. Durthu for sure. Durthu from the new Wood Elf book. Um, and maybe Throg or somebody uh, similar. I we'll think see. we should. We've already, I mean, we just had Sigil We just had Warriors. warriors but... So um, I'm thinking either um, the Brass Bull. Whoa, Which, that's yeah. uh, that's going to be a nasty combat for uh, Durthu. But there's, there's, is there a mon- there isn't a model for for him? Is there? No, you could just get the regular yeah. doable model and yeah. sculpt a bit. All right, more then I, I I want another I want another heavyweight like true special character model. So if you, if you have an idea for yeah. a heavyweight model you'd like to see face off against Durthu, so Durthu is a three man special character we from the new Wood Elf book. Yet, have we? 
No. Well, let's just uh, let. Why don't we see uh, what people want yeah, to see sure. face off against Earthu? So, big. yeah, if you want to suggest something, you Put can. Blood pressure. You can. Uh, you can tweet us at uh, Cascade Podcast on Twitter, um, or you can email us to uh, podcast at dimensionalcascade.com or uh, log on the forums and uh, and get in touch with us there and tell us. Uh, who you think Durthu should face off against in the in the inaugural uh, heavyweight uh, pit competition? Yeah, I think a great unclean one with Tough Seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's only special characters though, so you'd have to go for the special. What's the special character great unclean one guy called? Uh, oh, Kolgath. Kolgath. Yeah. Hatred dwarves. The plague pa- plague father. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Durthu also has hatred dwarves. Yeah, those they guys, probably those bond to get a beer or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> so as we leave, very unclean beer, though. as we leave the lightweight division behind us, who who are you naming your favorite character from the lightweight rounds so far? My favorite character. Yeah. Shadowblade. Who uh, had the most wins? Did Belagar? Belagar had the most wins for sure. Than Sigvald as well. More than Sigvald. Yeah. Yeah. Until he met Sigvald. Until yeah. He met Sigvald. <laughs> um, I think um, it's hard to say because because we were kind of all over the place with them. Um, Belagar w- was really hard to unseat for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, I liked, uh, I liked Chakax quite a bit, even though he died very quickly. Yeah. I just, I that just, was a bad pairing. I think it was a bad him. matchup. What, um, what were the points comparisons? Like all the characters, there is like all a, over the a good spread. Yeah. <laughs> from, from in the, in the medium one hundreds up to into the mid, mid three hundreds. Yeah. So, cause yeah. Belagar was like. 310 or something like that right? yeah, yeah and we had him like up that. against like 185 point characters yeah. and stuff so so i mean it was definitely not a, a balanced approach to anything but uh it was it was a ton of fun oh, yeah, yep. yeah, so so yeah we'll switch to heavyweights and uh, see where we go from there come yeah. on swinging news and rumors so for news this uh this episode we have uh, of course the Wood Elf release that we were talking about last time in our rumors, uh, oh, it yeah. came true. Who came knew? true. Who knew? We've had two full weeks of Wood Elves. Two full weeks and no further weeks. No uh, more Wood Elves. Yeah, no more Wood Elves. How sad. Yeah, very sad. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what's new. Uh, the new Tree Man kit, which we mentioned before, which makes Tree Man, Tree Man Ancient, and Durthu. Uh, there's the Araloth special character. I think, again, we mentioned him before. Yeah. Uh, Lord level. Uh, character new to the fluff they released the battle magic cards for high magic and dark magic um a bunch of painting guides um in digital format um the digital book the regular rule book and the special edition rule book uh all released uh and then the stuff that's currently on pre-order which but will be available i guess tomorrow, tomorrow. After, after our recording time so that's uh, saturday the 10th uh, they have a couple of big sets. Yeah. Um, Warriors of Talson, which is like $660 or something oh, like that. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge set of, uh, it's a full army. Okay. Um, and then Guardians of the Deepwood, which is all uh, Dryads and Treemen. And then the usual shenanigans that they do with uh, the paint collections and the basing, you know, here's our stuff sure. prepackaged for you. Uh, the really neat stuff that we hadn't seen last time, uh, they have a dual kit between Wildwood Rangers and Eternal Guard. Um, Wildwood Rangers are a new... New uh, Great Weapon Infantry. Great Weapon Light Armor Infantry. Um, Eternal Guard are, are stubborn uh, core units from from uh, the previous book. Yep. 
we're gonna leave the book review for uh once we've had a few more battles with the with the wood elves either with them or against them mm -hmm. um and so the last two new units that they released another dual kit of uh sisters of the thorn and the wild riders um the prancing stags the prancing pony yeah, yeah. um yes they are, are great indeed. models they are amazing looking I, models. Yeah, they are amazing models. I love the Eternal Guard too. They I think really the cool. I think both the new dual kits look look pretty good. Agreed. And um, as far as dual kits go, they're the best priced dual kit they've uh, released yeah, in yeah. years. Yeah, yeah thirty nine dollars for the infantry, ten infantry, and thirty seven dollars for uh, five uh, cavalry. Yeah, now that's I, pretty good. There's some speculation about you know did they drop the prices because they learned their lesson from dark elves With or elves. or did they drop the prices because they thought that nobody was going to buy them if they didn't mm. because it's wood elves. Was well, it they already they kind of came like the Hard dark elves was the the highest the, the pinnacle gone. yeah the sixty dollars for ten like dwarfs they came down and kept both of those dual infantry kits at fifty yeah and now dropping this down to 40 i mean it's definitely going in the right direction yeah, yeah. for sure and, uh, <clears throat> and i guarantee there's more plastic in these wood elves than there is in the doors sure but yeah. still they yeah just, yeah i just wonder with the dark elves did, the, did they consider them to be like particularly impressive they were like obviously some know. of the most dynamic they, models they've they ever boobs. made and they have nice boobs I, i'm wondering if boobs. i wonder if they if they let their development cost like because you can tell they put probably a lot of time and a lot more energy into the modeling of the dark elves i think so too and i think that they're letting that affect their prices too much instead of trying to spread those costs out across mm -hmm. the whole the whole range they're oh, like this yeah. kit took our design as a crap ton yeah. of time so that's the expensive one yeah, the thing is that all that all this does is cause strife in the community mm-hmm mm -hmm. You know, uh, dark elf players are grumpy. Well, I, you pick a you pick a price point and you you work at that price point. It's mm -hmm. not like the cost of producing uh, the sprue really changes. From, no, from model. No, to model. once the sculpt is done, all the yeah, prices exactly would be constant. So, um, and and it could be you know there's there's definitely uh, uh, strong things to suggest that the wood elf book was done last year rather than this year, mm -hmm. and the sculpts were done ahead of the book. Um, and that the book, you know, was kind of just reorganized to come out at this point. So it could be that they looked at it and said, well, you know, these have been sitting around for ages and, you know, we've changed the price point. Who the heck's going to know? I mean, certainly Games Workshop will not tell us. Sure. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, it's good for me. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to complain. Yeah, you and your true flight arrows. Yeah. So I have uh, four boxes of those uh, uh, cavalry on order. Um, I think that's the they're the high point of the release for me. Yeah, um, I I, I, like I love them. the wild riders. I I want so to take good. the eternal the guard, heads. but switch the heads with the uh, rangers. That's mm. what I want. I love the hoods of the of yeah. the rangers because that would sure. that would fit with my winter theme right really well. I could yep. put the fur on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the rangers look like they're carrying um, the Klingon batleths. I yeah, know, I love, I love <laughs> it that's though. So I think cool. it's so nice. cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a interesting variation on a great weapon you know yeah. it's like well we can have a big sword or a big axe or a batleth yeah, yeah. Woo. <laughs> all right so like clear cutting so that's the what elf releases um i i found that the white dwarf um for you know for each one i mean the first one was fun because it was exciting here's the wood elves yeah they're coming you know and we're starting to see the rules and spoilers and all of that sort of stuff uh, the second one 
I mean, aside from the spoilers for the uh, for the new cavalry units, like they the, had the Sisters of Thorn rules in there. Sisters right? of Thorn rules in there, but the battle report was so boring. Yeah, I These mean, new the new battle reports in Weekly White Dwarf should not even they're not garner that name. No, they're not battle reports. Yeah. It's basically just um, people's. I don't even know if they fight those battles. Yeah, it's just some photos and people saying, "Wow, we had fun and rolled dice." And <laughs> and the new stuff won. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> Always, and, you know. Yeah. To be to be fair, uh, Tom and I did fight a Wood Elf versus Beastman battle. Yeah, <laughs> we did. And how uh, did that go? <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. just gonna keep bringing it up, isn't he, Tom? I, I can't help it that I tabled you on turn three. <laughs> yeah, then, it was a pretty pretty grim day for the Beastman. Um, Charging wizards. Who it, knew? it it was a <laughs> yeah. Um, we we will go into more detail on that, I guess, when we're doing our review. Sure. So so like the dwarf book, I think we'll leave our review for probably mm, another month or so, um, and then and then go into detail. Yeah. Um, but what we will do between now and then is is for our art of war section, at least we'll cover some of the tactics that are um, likely to be of relevance to the wood elves, but they'll be relevant to to. Uh, other armies as well, but at least that way um, we won't have to cover them as part of the as part of the army sure. review. Okay, that I think wraps up our news and rumors section. Uh, did I miss anything? Don't think so. Nah. All For, right. I 40, can't think 40 of anything. players get another whole game already or something. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, probably. Yeah. 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 Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, <laughs> uh, there was the whole Forge World not promoting any. So they, they released the um, Dread Sarn. That's yes, that's now. right. Uh, so you should be able... I think that's now off pre-order and you can actually just order it now. It's a pretty cool model. It's going to be huge. It's going to take up most of your deployment zone probably. <laughs> um, Where's the table? You, you ordered one, didn't you, Ricky? Uh, I have not. No. Oh, you didn't? I, I'm trying to find the budget to, to order it if I'm going to. But I might actually just order some more squigs because <laughs> you can't have too many squigs. Yeah, you, you can't have too many squigs. Um, <laughs> but so Lizardman players, there's that for you. But then there's some pretty, um, well, they're, they're rumors. And since this is news and rumors, let's just say the rumor is that um, Forge World is finally going to discontinue um, Warhammer Forge. Warhammer Forge. Not uh, we're, It's unclear that they're going to discontinue all the models that they have already. Yeah, I doubt like that they would do. Gonna... I doubt they would do that. I just yeah. bet they're not going to develop anything more. Yeah, that's, probably that's the rumor I've seen as well. Yeah, probably just you know because <laughs> they're not Space Marines. Sure, <laughs> I don't think they'll stop selling what they've already no. developed. Because I think people I think still buy it, but just not at the numbers it. they hope. Right. You know? so. Interesting. Uh, they have the Merworm on pre-order. I don't know how that long, how long that's been on pre-order for. Um, uh, that's a dark elf uh, monster. It's a it's a everything monster. Right, it's an yeah, everything it's monster, monster, but it's from thing. it's from around Nagaroth. That's why okay. I'm, I'm just mm. saying. Um, it's it's a great big beastie. A big sea beastie. A big sea beastie. But they probably would have done better if they hadn't invested all of their Warhammer time in making these big beasties that nobody can Nobody really takes because cannons take them off on the... Well, also, yeah. hey. they're not even allowed in most tournaments and games. You know, they're all stuff for, like, yeah. the Monstrous Arcanum book, yeah. which, you Only know, people play with in friendly games and some tournaments yeah. allow, but it's not really standard issue. Yeah, so, um, random aside here, and it's kind okay. of related, is... Um, so I listen to a bunch of podcasts while I commute, and one of the ones that I listen to is by um, 
uh, the head designer at Wizards of the Coast for Magic the Gathering, which is a card game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, he's he been there at, at Wizards for like 20 years near on. So, uh, you know, he's seen that whole phenomenon evolve and develop. And one of the things that he talks about is how early on they realized that if they didn't have organized play as part of their hobby, as part of their um, game system, that that the whole thing would just fall down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so what I really worry about is that Games Workshop has abandoned organized play. Mm-hmm. Right. They they came out and said I think it was last year uh, that they're no longer going to do any tournaments or sponsor any tournaments across the world. I think the only thing they do is like one tournament a year or similar. They do a lot at Plugman's Brewery. Right. Uh, in yeah. Nottingham, right? right. Yeah. Which is basically like saying, well, we've got a local game store yeah. he- here, here at our factory. We're a multinational company and we have one store where we'll put on exactly. actual tournaments. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so now they have all of these game stores or hobby centers, whatever they call them, that don't run tournaments. Uh, they have no uh, support for local game stores to run tournaments and no incentive for tournaments to be run. And in fact, a game system that that makes it kind of difficult to run tournaments because, you know, it, it's somewhat ambiguous in places. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet tournament play is what is what most hobbyists want. And this or, organized and play. And what drives collections what drives collections what drives sales what what makes you push your hobby onward and outward Mm -hmm. is is organized play so i guess my real question is you know why the hell did they do that i mean what must have been going through their minds to say oh we're not doing organized play anymore lsd LSD. (laughs) probably yeah it's probably going through their minds i mean did they just did they just see that there was like a big indie GT scene developing and people organizing their own tournaments and thought, you know, we're not needed. We can step back and just provide the rules and the models and this will be self-sustaining. That, I mean, that could be it. Um, but, you know, that I, I think that uh, that doesn't make a ton of sense um, because... No. <laughs> because... But it's GW. Well, um <laughs> You know, the, one of the things that they enforced at their at their sanctioned tournaments was, you know, you had to have the rule book, mm-hmm. you had to have the army book, you had to use Games Workshop models, right? Yeah, really. Yeah, by enforcing all of that, you're saying, okay, there's a certain amount of product you must buy from our yeah, company. Yeah, buy-in. Now, with independent GTs, you have, uh, um, you might have a sportsmanship hit if you don't have a rule book. But you know, I've seen people turn up without their rule book. Yeah, all the um, time. And uh, likewise, um, without their army book, without you know whatever else they they need, and and tons of alternative models. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm all for that, but um, from a business perspective, I I don't understand what they gained by shutting that down. In my mind, and and I'm going to stop this rant after I make this point. Maybe maybe I need a whole rant section because I have a few of them in my brain. <laughs> but but in my mind, what they really should have done, um, if they were intent on like they fo- they they've shut down battle bunkers pretty mm-hmm. much across the board. Really, what they should be doing is they should shut down their retail division. They should just eliminate all of those stores from a business perspective and support the local game store with organized play. 
have some kind of have tournaments like traveling representatives yeah. kind of thing they've already got going. that whole thing in place oh, they, do? they have that whole thing in place and and uh what they don't have is the ability to support the tournaments mm. right yeah. you know wizards give Incentive you for people to actually play wizards give you software to to manage all of that sort of stuff yep. and report results and you can see how you rank up against other players in the country yeah you know how cool would that be but if they were gonna if they're gonna run like You've gw tournaments, tournaments but in like not their own physical premises can they still impose rules like you have to use gw models and stuff oh yeah or will I'm that sure. be yeah, absolutely. They, they can't can. provide in just, price support. Yeah. Just like then, yeah. Wizards yeah. of the Coast does with magic cards. You can't use, like, printed out your own magic cards. Nope. Right? You know, the store is responsible for enforcing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, you know, it, and and this is how um, I believe that, that Privateer Press are doing things, right? They don't have their own hobby stores. Right. But they have support for the local mm-hmm. game store to run tournaments. And so Games Workshop is literally having its lunch eaten by this smaller startup from Seattle who are who are beating them at their own game, at least when it comes to organized play. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway, end of rant. No, I mean, it's a valid point. It drives me bonkers because I want to see that level of organized play. That's why I got involved with the U.S. Masters. It's uh-huh. like I want there to be a, a competition that, that says, who's the best? You know, mm-hmm. right. that's why we all play, right? That's why yeah. we want to... That's why well, I started th- this is what party. I was saying. Maybe like GW are just sitting back laughing, like watching everybody putting in so much effort to to get this going themselves, while I, GW don't have to. I I can't see it. it. I it feels like a misstep rather than rather than a, a deliberate step. You know, mm. um, and I all I can hope is that somebody somewhere changes their mind and fixes things. Maybe when they get a new CEO, they're still they're still with an interim CEO. So. Mm. Let's wait and see. Hopefully a CEO who actually plays games. Yeah, that'd be good. (laughs) The Tournament Zone. Okay, so we have um, a few tournaments to call out in the Tournament Zone this episode. Uh, the first one up is a charity tournament uh, in Olympia. So this is a Warhammer for Life charity tournament. It's a one-day event on June 21st. Oh, that's the um, that's the solstice, isn't it? June 21st? Yes. Yeah. Oh, perfect for Wood Elf. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean he gets like some He's kind of special elf. re-roll yeah. or something? He's going to re-roll. I, I'll have to bring Orion for that, you know? Oh, jeez. Don't yeah. play basic lines. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, so this is this is uh, to it's a fundraiser for the American Cancer Society Relay for Life. Um, it's being run by one of the Dimensional Cascade Forum members. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so it is. Let me see. I've got the details here in front of me. It is um, fifteen dollars per person, or twenty dollars, which uh, gets you a one-time tournament reroll. So mm-hmm. you get an extra. Pay an extra five bucks, get a reroll. Uh, so I encourage you to Done. buy the twenty dollar ticket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for right. dimensional cascades. <laughs> yeah, you need to reroll those dice so you get your dimensional cascade, exactly. right? I know. I roll a seven. No, Wait, do you actually no. Get, like, a free re-roll? You get a free reroll for the tournament. Yeah. One one reroll. Is it one five reroll bucks. per five dollars? Really? Can you buy in for like five hundred dollars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just re-roll on everything. Get one reroll. That's amazing. Yeah. So well, actually, I for charity events, I'm all about selling sure. rerolls. Yeah, 
right? You know, if you, if you sell revolves for five bucks a pop, uh, you call to auction off a magic raise, weapon before the event. You will raise the <laughs> <laughs> like the fell blade, yeah. <laughs> or, or twenty dollars for a reroll on that heirloom chart from yeah. the White Dwarf. You know, Ooh. yeah, for a charity event. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so that's down in Olympia. Um, for those of you who are not in Washington State, Olympia is our capital. Woo. Um, and it's being run at Olympic Cards and Comics. So if you are interested in that, you can check out the Mitchell Cascade Forum um, and have a look in the Battlegrounds. You'll see a Warhammer for Life charity. Is tournament. it 2,500 points? It's 2,500 points. There's 26 spots available. Um, so it's a reasonable size tournament. It's is a it, one day. Is it comped at all? It is not comp. There's just four special I think characters. It's wet I coast comp, actually. Is it? Is it four? I think I think he did wet coast comp so that people could test their list for wet. I think oh, that's Hellebron right. is not allowed. And yeah. uh, <laughs> no Hellebron, no um, no Epidemius, no. It's like my last two um, <laughs> No Tetoeko, and no. Who's the other broken one? I don't know. There's four. Oh no, no Alarial. I don't get that. Oh yeah, one. I don't get that either. Yeah. But no Alarial. Mm. Okay, those are the four you're not allowed. There you go. Wow. Somebody had a bad game against Larry. <laughs> like, yeah. threw, threw all their toys out of the pram and, and went home crying. Yeah. Okay. So that is in, like I said, that's in, well, it's technically in Lacey. Washington was down by Olympia. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Uh, tickets are on sale now, actually. Yeah, too, they are. So. Yeah. They can click through and, and buy the tickets from our website. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so that's a good cause. Uh, speaking of Wet Coast GT, uh, that's coming up uh, just a week after the. Uh, Warhammer for Life tournament. That's a two-day GT. Mm. This is one of the qualifiers for the U.S. Masters. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so if you are a Pacific Northwest region um, tournament player, uh, that is one of the two-day events um, where you can earn your points. This is the first one that we've had since we announced uh, the Northwest region for the Masters. So mm. that's pretty exciting. I know uh, from our forum, I've seen at least six people sign up from the mm. seattle area to go up there yeah, yeah um uh so we'll be bringing a bit of a posse so that'll be fun this uh, is my one chance to qualify <laughs> <laughs> do it Mickey. you got this. everyone has, it, everyone got has this. two chances right the, the grinders gets everybody at the end <laughs> um yeah cool uh, so that's another 2500 point battle um again just that same comp with those four special characters um and you can check that out on wet coast gt.com so those are the two immediate ones are are most uh imminent um the other one we wanted to talk about is the ofcc uh, team tournament Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's not happening until september what Um, does the cc stand for an ofcc um one of them's champion or (laughs) championship and and i don't uh, ordo fanaticus is the of um, which is the forum at ordo ordo fanaticus.com um, but I don't, I'm not really sure. Maybe somebody will tell Combat? us. Uh, I could probably Google for it, but I'm too lazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so OFCC, they're running a team championship, which kind of, uh, is, is like, uh, similar to the ETC in, in that you go as a team, but you play individual battles and you have a team captain who, uh, works with the other team captain to decide, uh, which of the, the pairings are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So after pairings have been decided, is it like all resolved at once, and every member from every team like faces the opposing team? Yeah. Or is yeah. It... Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there'll be we'll basically play four, four simultaneous. simultaneous battles. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's Against cool. Another team. Yeah. So we're going as a podcast. Yeah, team. we're going as a team. Yeah. We've got yeah. To yeah. It's yeah. exciting. And Tom, like... Tom is our leader. I'm. Yeah. 
big responsibility here. Yep. Now, as I was up. reading through the response, I have to like check your math on your lists and stuff to with, make sure you're not not cheating dwarf. and slipping in an extra squig here or there. <laughs> just a few. I'm just gonna sprinkle a few. Just squigs. hiding squigs up his sleeves. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know where those came from. That's with a legitimate gobbling tactic. <laughs> for sure. Great responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're coming out in force. We're gonna have the night goblins, the wood elves, the dark elves, and the chaos dwarfs. Yep. Yeah, that's exciting. I just Dream have to learn team. how to beat demon, <laughs> demons of all kinds. Leave the demons yeah. to me. Okay, okay. <laughs> sounds good. Oh, sure. So I'll, ju- I'll just do... Just give me the ones that you guys think nobody else can win against, and I'll just die. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, but do look good doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well die against the, the hard people, right? <laughs> throw you under the bus. Yeah. Sacrificial goblin. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so the reason we bring that up is uh, lists are due by July 1st. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've got about six weeks or so to make lists. <clears throat> um, they have an interesting comp system. They have a very interesting comp system. Yeah. So there's no... Well, there is a, a little amount of kind of specific comp, like army-wide restrictions. Yeah. But they're not very intense. The The main uh, part of the comp is that the, review, the lists go and get reviewed by um, some kind of independent well they're not independent judges are they they're going to be some of the players who are going to be playing there yeah it's a panel of judges it's a panel of judges so, some of whom are players some are tournament organizers sure so they're going to assess the list for kind of balance um make sure it's not kind of a, a nasty kind of trick tournament list yep they're looking um, they're looking for net lists yeah they're looking for for overall balance and i think in this tournament, the focus seems to be on your opponent and setting up games where both players are going to have a fun time. Yep. So it's looking for lists that are going to, you know, promote. wreck people's hobby. <laughs> <laughs> the robots will decide that maximum fun has been. So achieved. you're supposed to submit yeah. lists that are going to be uh, conducive to kind of balanced fun games. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it is it is a numerical comp that they assign sure. to it, um, right. and then. And then that gets applied based on, you know, how you've won. You multiply. Yeah, well, they assign you a number between one and five, with one being a very light, very kind of weak list. Anything that they would give below a one, they'll just turn back to you and say, this list is so weak that it's not even going to be fun (laughs) to play against. So submit another list. And then five will be the the kind of strongest list they would allow in the tournament. Um, You're supposed to produce a list that you think will come somewhere around a three that's the goal apparently and then so you just score the battle in um uh, points difference as normal and then uh divide your winning margin by your comp so if you have a very strong list that has a comp of five and you win the game by a thousand points that only actually counts for um 200 points yeah It kind of it works like that. So so having a weaker list is is somewhat beneficial, but they want they want basically everyone to be in and around a three. They want you to strive for a three, yeah. And so um, this will be interesting. This is the first time I've done subjective comp like that, um, and it's subjective with a with a number associated with it that actually sure. affects the outcome of the battle. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting because uh, I mean certainly as team captain, you're going to be looking at it saying, well. Aiden's list is a three point six, and and uh, let's see what else have I got that's a you know what am, what are we up against that you know won't 
screw the scores up too much, right, right. even if he, you know, wins a 20 nil or, you know, wins it uh, or gets beaten, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how that's all going to affect the game. Right. Are, are the numbers released already or is it like you send it in and it gets evaluated and they give you back a number? Or is there anything like you can compare ahead of time before you send it? No, no you're just going to send it in and just get a number that then you're, you're stuck with. Yeah, so it's entirely right. subjective. I think we need to do a lot of cross review of lists kind of thing yeah, to just definitely. think like, would this is this going to be a real pain to play against yeah. other judges likely mm-hmm. to think this it's is all, a I think it's interesting that nasty um, list. They, they won't allow special characters, but then they allow things like uh, Dogs of War and Scrolls of Binding. Yeah, Monsters so, Arcanum and yeah, stuff. So, so. Yeah, but only a few specific things. So it's kind of like a hit or miss what they're allowing people to take in, when they're trying to... They said the goal was to be fluffy, mm-hmm. and then... But they don't remove, let you take Scar Snake. And then they, yeah, and then they remove a lot of the fluff characters, sure. you know. Well, and here's the other thing: they uh, have said that they will allow exceptions um, on a per request basis. Hmm. So I think you know I, I would be perfectly willing to to kind of request Scarsnick. exception for yeah, Scar Snake for a Night Goblin. If you take a photo army. of that army and be yeah. like, Scar yeah. Snake leads this army. Yeah, of yeah. course. I, I think we yeah. should. Think you know, should. let's ask. What's the worst that'll happen? Scar- they'll say, say no. Gobbas, right? Yeah. Skarsnik is not renowned as a broken character. <laughs> no. No. You just got to sneeze on him when yeah. he dies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and either way, you're bringing that model. So. Yeah. 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 All right. So that's uh, that's OFCC um, uh, team championship. Super excited though. Yeah. yeah well, they they have an open uh, three thousand point uh, one player open the Friday mm, before that, and yeah. that is part of the U.S. Masters circuit. That's another one day tournament. Okay. Yeah. Um, for those of you yes, who are in yes. Oregon or who want to travel up uh, or into Oregon to to experience that, you're playing in that. Right I am. Here? I bought my tickets already for that. Are you nice. playing? Because it's three thousand points, and it's like absolutely anything goes. So. I <laughs> don't know if I'm playing in that because I would have to take a day off work. Mm. and uh i'm not i'm not sure yeah maybe uh having having now won my one day tournament uh, <laughs> I, I gotta give everybody else a chance yeah. right right uh, rub no. it in rub it in no, three not. days of warhammer in, sounds in, a little intense power it does. Well. and you just you win so you box everyone else out yeah, I can't do it, man. I know. I'm just too nice a guy. If you make everyone days. else quit the hobby, then you'll automatically be yeah. the master, right? I'll, give you, the master. I'll give you a crown. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Um, so so that was um, the Warhammer for Life tournament, um, oh, Wet Coast, West Coast OFCC. OFCC. So the last one so we want to mention. closer to home. Yep. Um, Sparkle Party Deathmatch 4. Yeah, Sparkle Party Deathmatch for Sparkle Party like it's 2099. <laughs> <laughs> 2999. 2999. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're tickets are on sale now. Um, go to com and you can buy your tickets for Sparkle Party for um, 20 bucks. Gets you in the door. Um, it's gonna it's a one day uh, tournament at Seattle Center this time instead of Card Kingdom. Hmm. So neutral neutral area um the facility is pretty cool uh, it's right there in central seattle so anybody who hasn't been to seattle before it's a it's a pretty spot to be um especially if you bring significant others or whatever and they want to go see parts of the city they are literally right in the tourist yeah. center part of it it's yeah right it's across the street from the space needle <clears throat> yep, yeah exactly it's, it's under the space needle really so but it's a big space needle. It is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, under the space needle. Who knew? Yeah. So, uh, uh, what else should? Oh, so 
the $29.99 is the points value, so one point short of Grand Army. Um, I just did that just to kind of keep it real. And uh, <laughs> But you're still allowed to bring um, basically anything that uh, Games Workshop deems as an official rule, which is scrolls of binding, mon you know, sorceress packs, all those things you're allowed to bring, you're encouraged to bring. Um, we're doing the painting contest again. Um, this time I'm going to offer a first, second, and third place in the painting contest. We're going to make it a little more official. And it is the contest is for anything that is a bound or a scroll of binding. So there's some things that are units, some things that are characters, some things that are monsters that are scrolls of binding. So that could be from the Storm of Magic or the um, uh, Monstrous Arcanum. So either of those books, um, anything in there is is free to paint. Like Tom, Tom already has a Kadai that's part of his um, Chaos Dwarf army. But it's technically a scroll of binding, so I it can be taken as a scroll. Yeah, of because binding, it can so. be taken as a scroll, and he hasn't entered it as a painting as a painting thing in any of the previous Sparkle parties. He could enter that. If, so if he got off his butt and painted, yeah, if he actually <laughs> painted it. Yeah, so it's going to be painted to perfection. So uh, it, the same holds true for anybody else. So um, that's a fifty dollars cash prize. I'm hoping the painting contests eventually I'll be able to start giving larger cash prizes for that. Um, you know what would be a cool prize as well, rather than just cash prize, is if you could offer to, like, whatever model wins, if you could take that model and take some of your fancy photos of them, do a little photo shoot, like, yeah. and then, like, post one on your tail of pages or something. I don't know if you're allowed to post other people's models on uh, there. Yeah, they would be open to that. It would that. be pretty yeah. cool to, you know... That'd be that'd, that'd be, be awesome. The prize, like yeah. a, a photo shoot for first, your model. second, and third is that would be fantastic if you just did it for the top three. Yeah, yeah, that'd, that'd be, be awesome. really good. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to have some cool photos taken of one of my models. Yeah, my photos tend to my be. My photos suck. Uh, oh, <laughs> let me get my let me get my phone out. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> yeah, That's good is. enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would that would be definitely doable for yeah, sure. That'd cool. Be awesome. I mean, I won't win, but that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So um, uh, other than that, I think the next episode of this podcast, we will re reveal the first scenario. Um, keep in mind, the scenarios are going to be a little um, simpler this time because I, with the increased points, I didn't want it to become yeah. you know, too complicated. Be really squiggy. Yeah. Yep. And so... Um, How much do I have to pay for a re-roll at your tournament? <laughs> uh, $200 <laughs> cash to me. Yeah. And whether or not I actually tell you <laughs> to the GNU. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See me after the podcast. What's that? Yeah. All right. All right. So on that shiny, happy note, um, I think that kind of wraps up our tournament zone uh, mm -hmm. for this episode. The Hobby Horse. Okay. We're going to talk about green stuff. For the second time. The first time had to be edited out, I'm afraid, folks. So um, just reading the description of it here, it says it's a two-part modeling putty that is useful for filling in gaps on models and sculpting additional details. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Um, so it's kind of obvious, uh, you know, what it's used for, but how to use it, that's something that I think uh, takes a bit of instruction, takes a bit of time and experimentation, and we're hoping to... Uh, kind of share our experiences and 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 shortcut some of the problems that you mm -hmm. might run into um, with using green stuff for the first time, or or even you know uh, help you get over some of the the issues you might have had with it. So um, I 
going to tell a war story here a little bit. Um, so I was a red shirt at Games Workshop in the UK in the mid nineties. And the first time I saw green stuff was actually somebody sculpting, uh, a model for Warhammer in the studio. Hmm. Um, so GW didn't sell it at the time. And, uh, it was pretty hard to come by at least in, in Belfast. There were only a few modeling shops and nobody stocked it. Hmm. Um, so that was my that was my introduction. Um, so nobody really did like detailed conversions back then. People just kind of stuck their models together and yeah. And, and you got well everything was lead. Um, mm -hmm. So the conversions that you would get were usually around, yeah lead models. Um, sure. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> For uh, your children. Write with them later. Yeah. Well, yeah, you could. I did. You know, I was a teenager. It's like, hey, I can write with this. This is fun. Um, <laughs> But right. even if people were building their big lead models back then, there must have been like gaps to fill. And yeah, stuff there were, the and there were, there were other putties. Okay, um, uh, you know, and we we'll we might talk about some of them tonight, um, but none of them were quite as um, green as green <laughs> or as flexible. And nowadays, like you see, uh, works in progress uh, posted on Twitter or you know on people's blogs or forums, and you know half the time. 80% of the model is covered in this kind of dark green morass of, of detail. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's green stuff. So uh, cover the basics really quickly. It's a two-part putty. One part is blue. One part is yellow. Blue plus yellow. Equals green. green. Now, the, you might think that's really straightforward. It comes in, it comes in two, two general forms. Um, if you buy it from Games Workshop, it comes in a ribbon. Mm -hmm. One half of the ribbon is blue. The other half of the ribbon is yellow. Yeah. And the problem with that is that right away, the blue touching the yellow has started to cure. Um, and so in that ribbon, um, along the join, you have um, slightly cured sure. green stuff. And so as soon as you buy it from Games Workshop or, or anyone else that sells it yeah, in ribbon format, it's not just GW. you need to separate it and, and keep Keep the two parts separate. That's generally the best way to store it. I just, when I cut my bit off to use, I just cut a slice off and then slice the blue and the yellow both in the middle. near, near yeah. the divide that's and just I take the too. two bits and mix them together. Yep, throw, that's, throw away that middle bit. That's definitely another way to do it. Because um, you can tell, like, if you just take that slice and start mixing it all together, after a while you find... There's a lump. There's just this lump in the middle that you're yeah. kind of mm -hmm. feeling over and over again. Yeah, so so either way, you got to discard that, that part and st stop using it. Um, the other way that it comes is uh, you'll get it in a, in a plastic tube mm -hmm. that has uh, a separator in it, or it's two tubes, and it's a, a blue and a yellow. Now, Or a white and a gray. Or a white and a gray. You know, it's a two-part epoxy either way. One is um, one of the parts, and uh, uh, don't ask me which one. I think it's the blue one in the green um, is, is the hardener. The hardener. Yeah. And... So you can use less or more, and and that will make your green stuff either harden quicker or harden slower. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. But if yeah. you don't get enough, then it's just gonna never. Mm. It's never gonna harden. Yeah. So really, you're aiming for fifty percent, or or you might go a little more or a mm -hmm. little less, um, but you don't want to go too much. Otherwise, it just is. It's just plasticine at sure. that point, pretty much. So, so how long, how long are we looking after we've mixed it together before? What's, what's your window before it starts to, 
I know to work with. I I usually think about half an hour is yeah. pretty good, and then after that it starts to get pretty Obviously it firm. takes a long time to actually set, but right. you can tell if you're doing a kind of long session with it that it's becoming like harder and harder to to yeah. work with. Yeah, yeah. I usually I usually don't do anything more than I can do in half an hour, and then mm-hmm. and then if it, I just throw it out otherwise. But you know, usually the models are so small that it's tiny little bits that you need anyway. Sure. So. Yep. But um. But yeah, anything after half an hour is usually, it won't stick as to itself or to other stuff as well after that long. Yep. And uh, But sometimes you do want it a little harder when you're working with it, so maybe you do let it set a little while before sure. you use it. So. so so actually, this is a good point. I mean, why do you want to have the, the putty to be harder or softer? Well, uh, if you're trying to do a lot of fine detail, then you're going to want, um, well, if you're doing... Let's see. If you're filling gaps, softer for sure. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to build um, structure, you're going to want it firmer. Um, you know, so if you're trying to build something up, uh, say you're trying to do a face, say you're trying to add a long sword or something like that to your model, mm-hmm. um, and you're trying to do it out of green stuff, even though there might be better ways to do that, but um, say you're doing that, then you might want it firmer at that point. So, And anytime you want it to hold a sharp edge, um, you probably want to let it firm up a little bit. Yeah, that that's definitely what I've noticed. If you want, if you want a flat surface, um, you know, like something that 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 is um, like uh, beaten flat, uh, like a sword or a shield or mm-hmm. um, anything like that, then then I find it when it's a little firmer, it's it's easier to get into the flat surface and to get a sharp edge mm-hmm. on it. Um, I find it when it's softer, it's definitely better for doing like hair and fur and things where you want that kind of more natural. Yeah, more organic. More mm-hmm. organic yep, yep. Um, mm-hmm. um, and to it. Um, branches and stuff like that for tree tree folk. I've done a bunch of those too. Okay, so that that's that's that side. And, and yeah, so you just – um, unfortunately with a lot of these things, it's it's a little bit of trial and error. But you can use a surprisingly small amount to try out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you can, you can make, uh, just a little, um, and, and add a little more blue and then add a little less blue, um, and, and experiment and, and get a feel for it. Okay. So that's, that's kind of mixing it up now, now working with it. Um, one of the tricky parts with it is, um, it's not water soluble. Um, so it's not so nice. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. Um, but, um, occasionally, especially as it's, uh, when it starts to get a little firmer, uh, it can be, it can be a pain in the butt to work with it. It starts to stick to your tools. Um, and so, um, do you, do you use anything, um, to work with that's like, um, uh, to keep it from sticking to your tools? Spit. You spit on it? I, I'm literally just touching it to my tongue the whole time I'm working. Huh. Now, um. Your tool? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'm always wet, just wetting it in my mouth. Just like I do you know, every time I'm, when I paint, I'm always pulling the tip of my brush to a I do, point. I do that as well. So it's the same thing for me. I'm just touching my tools, my tongue. Hmm. But, um, so I did a, I, I did some of those online courses with fire for effects studios. Um, and he's, he's one of those pro sculptors that that's all he does for a living is sculpt miniatures now. And, um, he, I took some of his classes and one of them, um, well, 
one of the things that he talks about is instead of doing, you know, spit, which obviously probably isn't good to be licking your tools. <laughs> I mean, advice for life. Yeah, just don't don't lick your tools. Don't lick your tools, guys. Um, don't, don't eat paint. Yeah, so uh, he uses Vaseline a little bit. He coats his mm. tool with just mm. a little bit of Vaseline. Yep. And I think that that's you don't um, find a little bit of water just works, all right? Um, water, water doesn't work very well. Water, I. I think you need to break the surface tension of water because it tends to just bead on the end of the um, tool. It's been my experience. I tried that too. And yeah, for some reason, saliva doesn't have that surface tension. So um, that's why I stuck with that. But I think... um, What about a little bit of like the mixing medium then? Lamine medium? Yeah. Well, maybe, but who knows what that's, you know, how that's going to affect... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. subsequent layering so that's the thing that i was worried about with the vaseline is if you're um because oftentimes when you're um building or you know adding things to a model you have to do do an under layer let that set and cure before you actually go back and add the detail part mm-hmm. of that so you do one layer um, to get a basic shape so, and yeah then kind of and if you're doing that with a lot of vaseline i <clears> guess <throat> you could wash it after that yeah um, but that part was never really clear to me in the instructions that I was taking from him. So, so I mean, I've used oil-based stuff. Uh, I've used baby oil um, mm-hmm. on it, and uh, that helps keep it really uh, – makes it very easy to get a smooth surface. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you talking about putting the baby oil on the green stuff? On the green on stuff. Okay. Well, e- either way, it ends on up being on the, on the green stuff okay. at some point. But, yes, it's, it stops it from sticking to the tool. Mm. Um, and then – uh, it ends up being on the on the surface of the of the green stuff, and it just it dries up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done that um, pr- pretty much for all of the conversions that I've done. Um, baby oil. Okay. Maybe baby we should oil. talk about yeah. what these tools are that we're dipping into baby oil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't think there's any way we're going to get through uh, talking about green stuff without at least a handful of Snickers here and there. But we'll we'll try and keep it PG as yeah. we go. We're already doing we, much better. We didn't than get that. through the first much. one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. The second take. I've been yeah. biting my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just sitting over there. Yeah. So so the tools. Um, there's a there's a whole bunch of different tools that mm-hmm. you can possibly use. So talk about the basics. Um, you know the the wax sculpting tools um, that are available. They're fairly cheap. Um, you can buy um, a set of them for seven or eight dollars. Yeah, that's what um, I got. I think it's like the P three set. It's just like three tools. Yeah, seven yep. bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for the kind of work I do, it was it's been working out fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, the, the, um, I guess the quintessential tool is, uh, a dental tool called a wax number five. Hmm. Um, and it has, it's a double ended tool. Most of these tools are double ended. Yeah. So they're about the size of a pencil uh-huh. and they're usually made out of metal and, um, they have very clean edges or sharp points, um, which, which help you work with this. And the wax number five, um, is kind of like like a scimitar blade at one end, um, you know, it's kind of curved and then has, it comes to a point and you can use that for, um, for creating flat surfaces and also for some fine detail work. That's pretty cool. And then at the opposite end, uh, it's, it's a very, um, fine point, a bit like a flattened needle. Um, um, so it, it, you can, you can poke with it, but it's also got a little bit of depth so you can move stuff around with it. And if you just had to have one tool, um, 
that is probably the best one to, to work with. The needly one? Uh, uh, that wax, oh, that wax five tool, tool, that whole tool. You can do most effects with that one tool. So my favorite tool mm -hmm. that I, I use, it's like on one end, it's kind of the blunt knife, knife point kind of thing. Yep. Um, but with a, a little point on the end. I'm mm. not describing that very well. And then on the other side, it's like just a, a very kind of blunt, flat surface that I use for like smoothing stuff afterwards. With. Yep. Yeah. So one end I can actually put the detail in with and then just flip it around and kind of smooth things down to make them, yep, for make sure. them look better. Um, and uh, so th those are the, the basic tools to use. Um, uh, if you want to get um, a, a bit more... Uh, like a lot of people will use a needle as well mm -hmm. um, yeah. to be able to, to, especially if you're doing like um, mail or, yeah. or something that requires, you know, um, Incredible amounts of precision. very precision, like eyes. Um, I definitely have um, done anything like that. No, <laughs> and, and <laughs> eyes are, eyes are particular, just like with painting, eyes are very tricky. Sure. Um, and, and, and also because they're what we look at as, as human beings, yep. right? We pick up the model, we look at the eyes. So if you mess them up, you've messed up the, yep. the whole model. That's why I never bother painting the eyes. Point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just leave the wash in there. Yeah. But the tricky part of the needle is, is that it's such a small thing to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, I have something that I like to use and it's actually a folding stylus. They're, uh, they're for creasing paper. And so it's a double, another double-ended tool that has about a two point like ball on the end, on one end. And then another like, like half point ball on the other. And they're, uh, just little styluses that you would use to kind of dent paper or stuff like that. And they're perfect for those, that detail work. Cause there's actually a little ball on the end of what is the needle. And Interesting. it's, I like, mm. I like that for working with them. It's great for chain mail or working uh, stuff into fill gaps too. You can just kind of mm. run that ball back and forth and it squishes it down in there. Interesting. So, so yeah. maybe we should talk a little bit about what, what level of, tasks we've actually all done with this it sounds like ricky but before, has done. Be before we go into that i just I want to cover a uh, kind of a last uh uh way of of handling the tools and that is to build your own hmm. um okay. this is actually um not Shit as style. yeah <laughs> it's it's not as difficult or as crazy as it sounds um you to build uh you you're basically using uh paper clips from yep. for most of it for the for the blade end um and you cut a piece of paper clip. Um, you drill it, drill a hole in a wooden dowel, um, and uh, glue the the piece of paper clip into the dowel. Tape it round. Make a make a uh, a grip for yourself. Sounds like a shiv. Sounds like something. <laughs> right. A little bit. <laughs> yep. Yep. But then what you can do with the end is you can use needle nose pliers to to turn it into um, whatever shape you want, mm. and then you can file it down um, to be as flat as you want or as pointed as you want. Hmm. Um, the tricky part is you got to get it really smooth, um, yeah, or just sticks or it. just sticks. Yeah. And the way to do that, you got to use like a wet and dry sandpaper, um, and so forth. But the nice part about that is, um, it's a very cheap way to make tools. Um, I mean, the tools are pretty cheap to begin with, but still, um, um, most tools, uh, you're going to need to replace, um, because you know, the, the, uh, green stuff will dry out on them and you, you'll have to sand it down to get rid of the green stuff. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't take exceptionally good care of them, it's very quick that you'll have to replace them. This is a very cheap um, uh, way to get started. And and a lot of sculptors, I mean, I've read a bunch of uh, uh, sculpting blogs and so forth. Um, 
a lot of sculptors prefer having their own tools because they make exactly the shape that they want. Yeah, they make a handle sense. that that fits their hand and how they grip. Um, so so it's definitely something to look out for. It's pretty easy uh, if you Google for. I'll, I'll put some in the show notes. Actually, a couple of uh, articles on how to make your own sculpting mm-hmm. tools. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And didn't did Ricky have some to- some tools as well? You wanted to talk about the uh, smoothing ones. Yeah, the smoothing ones. Um, the color they're they're called color shapers, and they basically are they look like a they look pretty much exactly like a paintbrush, but instead of a bunch of bristles on the tip, they have little rubber rubber shapes on the tip. Like some of them are little triangle shapes or point shapes hmm. or wedges, um, and. They come in different firmnesses. So the end is very oh, okay. So the mm-hmm. end's quite flexible. Yeah, generally. either flexible or pretty. You can get ones that are pretty firm, mm. and they're great for smoothing um, and doing. So you know, you did this beautiful torso, but now you need to add an arm, and you have to smooth the muscle between. That's what those are good for. Is to kind of give you that smooth transition, um, to kind of pull it gently without having those sharp lines that you might get if you had a a hard tool dragging through it so that's nice um how much are those are they reasonably uh Uh, affordable let's see i I was just looking at them over at dick blick and i think it was the set for about 10 bucks no that's Mm. that's pretty good and if you watch dick blick and sign up there they often have um super good sales every now and then oh so these looks like these ones are a little more than that this is a full set of micro ones that's five with just about every shape you would need for 18 bucks well, it's so. still in the same ballpark yeah, yeah. pretty good yeah. Um, yeah that's interesting because one of the problems that i find a very common problem especially working with uh, any area larger than you know um like like uh, larger than pea-sized mm-hmm. uh is you get fingerprints on mm-hmm. the green stuff very easily yeah and especially if you try and smooth it yeah and, exactly and uh it, it's such a sensitive material it just picks up anything especially so, if you're really impatient like me and you decide you want to sculpt something on one side and like oh i should sculpt that on the other side right now and yeah, you just that's... turn around and squish the one so <laughs> that's the first that's the very first thing that you first gotta learn is uh, is the patience yeah when you look at <clears throat> when you look at a model that you know like all the models that we see well the ones that have been coming out lately the plastic kits those are all digitally sculpted and sliced up on a computer and um they might have done uh maquettes of those but they probably didn't do any at the 25 mil size but the old models that were done with green stuff like those weren't built in a day those were built over months you know they would you they would come in and add one chunk of the arm and then come back the next day and do one chunk of, you know, literally building it up almost muscle by muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're working at such a small scale, you know, any point you touch on there affects what you just did. And you just got to take your time with it. Yeah. And and actually, that's a really good point, because if you do one piece and you're happy with it and then you let it dry and, and cure entirely and then come back the next day or the next week and, and do the next part. Uh, if you're not happy with it, you can take it off, and mm-hmm. what you had there before, the with, yeah. you still the bit you're happy with. So, mm-hmm. so it's very forgiving uh, once you've reached that point of yeah. of happiness, you know, and you've let it cure. Yeah, and there's certain things that you'll want to do with green stuff that you just you won't be able to get um, that both the shape and the detail 
without first building up an underlayer that you let completely cure mm -hmm. and then go back in and add the detail. Build on top of it again. Yeah, and so that's where the color shapers come in, in handy because you can smooth that thin layer over the, the underlay and then put your detail into that. Yeah, that's pretty that's, cool. That's what you would do when you're doing chain mails, things like that. You want to build the understructure, then go back and do the thin overcoat, and then add the, the chain mail texture. Because otherwise, every time you stab the needle in there for the, the chain mail texture, you end up pushing that You're thing. Changing the whole shape. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. eventually you end up with this, like, this uh, male <laughs> shirt that, you know, is looking like a cape because it's gotten pushed so far back. So, yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. So patience, patience with your green. Patience and layers. Patience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's, um, that's us a little bit about the tools, um, a little bit about layering, a little bit about, um, you know, how to manipulate the green stuff um, to begin with. Um, what about, uh, let's, let's go through a little bit of, of kind of what are the common things that you can do with it that are going to, um, really uh, change how your models look without involving um, a whole ton of effort and a lot of skill, right? So this is kind of mm -hmm. green stuff 101. I want to do conversions. Right. I've never done it before or or everything I've done has looked like an abomination. Um, this is why I'm playing Warriors of Chaos. No. Um, <laughs> oh, it's chaos. <laughs> yeah, it's chaos. Anything goes, it's chaos. Um, no but, offense. No yeah, offense. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you can do. Kind um, of the next stage in converting after just doing a kit bash. And yeah, exactly. Like that, taking it to slightly the next level. Exactly. So, Tom, uh, actually, why don't you start because you've just done some stuff with your Chaos Dwarves. Yeah, so one of the one of the first things I... Basically, my first big project with green stuff other than um, filling holes was sculpting a bunch of Chaos Dwarf beards onto um, some Dragon Ogre models. Did you get those finished? I did get them finished, yeah. I've got them, I have six mighty bull... Nice. So, so for my bull centaurs for my Chaos Dwarf army, I wanted to use the Dragon Ogre models because I just think they're awesome models. But to make them look more Chaos Dwarfy, um, they beards. need the, the iconic like curly ringlet Chaos Dwarf beard. Yeah. So this, that was my first... Um, yeah, project with green stuff. And the one thing I learned from that is that obviously practice makes perfect as with anything. And I, what really helped me was I got a bunch of just old, like ogre sized heads that I wasn't using for anything else, not on the models I actually wanted to finally do. And just started practicing working with with green stuff on them yeah and that's a great idea you get you get you can get better surprisingly quickly like yeah. the first two that i tried just look god awful but then after that i started kind of figuring out what works and what doesn't and yeah i was doing this as a this is a pretty basic sculpt i basically just get one it's all done in one stage i don't do any of this fancy layering or whatever <laughs> i would just get one blob of green stuff kind of mash it onto the face and shape it into a kind of all a kind of beard shape coming up the side of the face and then um, down into a, a big ball on the chest, kind of. And then I would just use the, the tool to cut uh, vertical lines in it to separate it out into the, like, the ringlet segments and then just work uh, a bunch of little cross lines in. And that was the hardest part because it's kind of fine, fine detail working in 
little crosshatch lines all the way down the ringlets. And then after that, there was just a lot of kind of pushing everything back into nice shapes because I guess I suffered from from what Ricky just discussed, which is that when you're trying to work detail onto something which is kind of a mass rather than a thin layer, every detail you work in is kind of changing the shape of the of the whole thing. Yeah. So I ended up with these, you know, quite nice details in the ringlets, but the ringlets themselves all kind of out of whack. So I spent a bit of time pushing that all back into place and smoothing it down. Yeah. And um yeah, and I yeah. think I think hair is actually one of the easiest things to sure. start with because uh, it, it's quite easy to to work the green stuff into thin uh, cords, right? And and it'll stay in that form, and you mm-hmm. can you can um, very easily smooth it into the hair that exists on a model if it has right. if it has hair. Um, so that's something I've done that I would kind of lump under like gap filling. Is that sometimes there's gaps that need to be filled, but you have to. To make it look seamless, you need to put either some like scales on there if it's yeah. if it's that kind of beast, or like just Better add some hair to it that. or something. Yep. Um. So yeah, just that, that's pretty that, straightforward. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Um, and and it's very easy to get good results. <clears throat> um, the the trickiest part about that is is getting it to stick to the model, right. um, in the first part. Yeah. Um, but you know that that again is going to be a bit of trial and error. Um, more yellow. Um, yeah, More yeah. Yellow. Make More make, yellow makes make it, it softer. Stickier. Yeah, it'll yeah. make it stickier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like one of the conversions that I did, um, I did for for a miniature exchange. Um, I, I took the the wood elf spellweaver. He has this. He's got long hair. And he's got this crazy kind of horn thing coming up from behind him. I don't know what it was. Is this the, the male spell? The male will spell. like floating. Yeah, that and guy. He just, yeah, he has these like pair of horns that look like they're coming from his back. From his shoulders yeah. or something. I don't know what it was supposed Sounds to very be. Very uh, It looked weird. So I had the metal model and I just took my snips and I snipped those right off. And and then I sculpted longer hair on him on top of the uh, on top of the gaps where, where the... Uh, where the horns were and, and it was quite easy to just kind of to, to pull the threads of the uh, of the green stuff into yeah into long hair strands mm-hmm. so so hair um definitely one of the easier things to get started with um i think you can you can uh you can take a model that has very little hair and add hair to it um i wish i could do the same for myself um, <laughs> um, it's just that easy tom. <laughs> yeah tom we should walk around with green stuff green stuff <laughs> Uh, party. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but that that's pretty straightforward um and and i think organic um stuff is is actually a little easier than than artificial shapes um yeah. because because it's organic you know it's naturally your your green stuff's going to kind of flop into into a semi-organic shape by default mm-hmm. so, and so if you, you can kind of get of, away with it if you're like extending a bit of hair and you can kind of mash the green stuff on there then you're basically already fault when you go to sculpt the lines into that hair you're just following the basic lines that are that are already there and kind of extending them down a bit longer so yeah you, you already have your your kind of lines to follow let's get fiona out of here we can <laughs> fiona. Fiona. Hi, fiona. She has my green stuff. Fiona. Her energy's gone. Get her out of there. Come on. Fiona. Gotta go. 
You gotta go, pup. Don't pet her. Get her out. Out. Yeah. Out. <laughs> all the dice are going. All the Taylor's dice. Oh no. Fiona, get out. She just whacks everything with her tail. <laughs> All the mic stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Click. Nailed it. Nailed so we just finished it. talking about hair. Mm, but before we finish talking, well, before we finish talking about hair, Ricky should talk about his wood elves. Oh yeah, the fur, fur on yeah. every fur. every model. Every yeah, and that'll segue nicely into hoods because hoods are quite easy as well. Mm. Um, a little harder, but uh, um, not too difficult. Right. And you've done hoods. I've done hoods. Um, you did them on your elves as well as their goblins. Or your trolls, you did them on. Yeah, the trolls yeah. actually were three or four steps, though. Yeah, okay. Because they were shaped so yeah. droopy. Let, yeah, let's... Uh, okay, so we just you just finished talking about hair. Mm-hmm. So you can just so start can talking. Just say, you can yeah. just go straight into it. Uh, Talk about your uh, wood elf. Okay, so yeah, I, I used it to sculpt the fur. Um, on my wood elves and uh, my, my wood elves I wanted them to have the whole winter theme but then the winter or the the wood elf models only a few of them actually had kind of wintry looking f fur like yeah I saw on the tale of Peter's blog you were saying there was there was one model in particular that yeah. has fur trims on the boots and stuff and you wanted to yeah to kind of yeah repeat that across the whole army yeah I think I'm pretty sure that <clears throat> when I was first got all the models because i remember getting all the models at once and looking at it and going like what am i going to do with this army now um i remember really loving that model so much and thinking that he just looked like he would fit in a nice winter theme and um and i did some test painting didn't didn't think it was quite enough without the fur so i went back and was like all right i'm gonna if i'm gonna do this army let's try it and um You're so it was uh it was modeling fur onto the hoods and onto the capes and capelets and onto the, the uppers of the boots and it's it really is um itself it's a pretty easy process uh, very time consuming though right if you're doing uh, it on every model yeah you know doing it across the whole army it takes a while and because it is um one of those things where uh i had to do it while the the models were separate all you know all in pieces still oh, because okay. it couldn't reach around behind on some things to get the to get the uh the tool where i could s scrape the fur texture in mm -hmm. um and i actually found that when i was doing the fur texture if i did kind of an s shape as i did it it looked more natural than just stabbing it straight in so i started working on that um, yeah. i also tried to make the fur because the models are very dynamic and some of them like the fast calf they look like they're actually riding pretty fast so on those guys, I tried to make the fur look like it was blowing back, which is pretty easy to do. If you see that you're, the model you're working on already has some kind of dynamic flow to it, make your hair or fur follow that, and it's going to help it look pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, but but it is it was a, it was a case of when I was doing the legs. So the legs on the glade guard are you know um, from the waist down with the two legs. I would do one foot one night the next night i would do the next foot and so i was working um in just series i would be like all right so tonight i'm gonna get all the left feet on, <laughs> on all the left feet on this one unit of glade guard and then 
that would take me, you know, my one modeling session, and then I'd come back the next night and do the right feet on Makes all the Makes a good story for when somebody and, at work asks you what you did last night. Yeah. Well, yeah. left feet on old glade guard. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then, and then, you know, the fur, the fur around the hoods was was really just roll out a snake, one little snake of green snuff, lay it across there, then start, you know, working it into a fur shape. So pretty, pretty easy stuff to do, but. Um, time consuming time. time consuming but if you take the time to do it it just changes the look of the army oh completely. Sure. yeah so. it, it looks like something. different models yeah. completely yeah. unique yeah and and that's really why why we we want to do these things in the first place mm -hmm. right it's yeah it's, you want your models to be just different in some way yeah. from everything else you see yeah, yeah for sure so so one of the things uh, you were just talking about uh fur around the hoods there but um making a hood uh a fairly basic hood is 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 kind of the next. Uh, I think from a difficulty perspective, mm -hmm. um, is probably the next thing up um, in terms of of ease. It's and a it, really useful technique. Yeah, you you can in terms of how different it can make a little, uh, a model look. Very much. I remember so. before the new uh, Beastmen Shaman came out, I would see on the Beastmen forum all the time people would just get a basic gore model, add green stuff hood, and you have a, a pretty nice Shaman already. Nice. Yeah. 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 And uh, I I know that I've uh, taken again Wood Elf models and uh, you know not liked the hair that has been on them, snipped the hair off, and then. Uh, you know, put a hood over the top, or or, or what have you. It, it's pretty straightforward. Um, the basic the basic technique is you're making a pancake mm -hmm. uh, of with your green stuff, so it's nice and flat. Do you use something um, to roll it out really flat with that, or you just? I don't because I'm always going to be smoothing it afterwards, right? So I just use my finger, just pinch it, my, yeah. yeah, between my um, usually mm -hmm. on on the palm of my hand and my thumb. That and, gets it thin enough. Yeah, that usually gets it thin enough. Um, and and if it doesn't um spank it yeah <laughs> i think i've used a paint pot before um mm -hmm. you know uh but yeah generally that gets it thin enough and then and it's surprising how thin you actually want to get it sure um uh and then you can just kind of cut the shape um you kind of have to think of it as if you were making a hood out of cloth what shape would you need um, because that's like in three dimensions, that's likely what you're going to need to put on top of the head. Um, and then, uh, cause you're, you're going to want to kind of sculpt in the folds and stuff like that. But the nice thing is that the green stuff kind of lends itself to wanting to do that. Anyway, you lay the, lay it on like, like it's cloth on top of the head mm -hmm. and then it, it kind of will naturally sag and fold. And then you're just kind of tucking it in, uh, with the tool. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can get a very kind of natural, uh, just, just for a hood on top. If this assumes you've got some kind of cloak underneath, right. um, you know, that makes it very easy when you've got clothes that you're joining it to already. Um, and then, and then just kind of getting a flat, uh, front so that you can still see the face. Um, you'll, you'll notice a, a lot, a lot on the, on the, uh, games workshop models that, that they've got like a, a kind of a straight edge on the front and down the side and mm -hmm. and you can generally do that just with the with the tool even with your finger to get it kind of roughly right and then mm -hmm. the tool to get the the softer edge on it yeah and to get that really sharp edge i would almost suggest um letting it cure with the ragged edge and then just take a knife and trim it yep. after it's cured oh, that's a good one that's actually a lot easier you tend to find that because that those really thin layers that are like you would have on a thin hood like that super easy to cut with a sharp knife you could just trim it carefully just don't cut off the nose cool and you you've uh on your on your uh stone trolls that you did for your night goblin army you've kind of taken the hood thing one step further 
Yeah, those uh, those were actually three step hoods because I I had to have the the night co night goblin hoods kind of um, act as like a shoulder drape thing too that goes down the back some. Mm -hmm. So I had to do that part first, and they have all these interesting chains and stuff around their necks too that I wanted to keep showing. Uh, and they're so, not they're not wearing any clothes. Yeah, right? normally. So you yeah. don't have anything to sculpt anything, onto. Yeah, yeah. So I I did like those those. I guess kind of collars is kind of what it would be, like a collar that goes down the back and down the front. Um, that was the first step. The next step was to do kind of what would be um, a bib or chin, chin strap that went kind of from kind of in front of the ears, behind the ears, but then draped down to give you that sagging effect that you would get on a, on a really baggy hood. And um, then the last step, you know, for the third day in the series was to add the the pointy part and when i did the, that pointy part you know i had it kind of actually i think i had to do that in two days too because i had to build a i had to build a structure underneath so there was like two days to do each of the peaks but then the the last layer was what i used to blend the chin strappy part into the other part so uh, it was another one of those things <clears> where <throat> i wanted there to be a huge gap hanging down like these hoods to look like they're really cavernous hoods uh-huh and in order to have that you have to get that green stuff strap in there and then just step away because if you try and touch the model in any other way you're going to mess it up mm -hmm. so yeah just another one of those patience things but and then i also use the green stuff to you know do simple weapon swaps where i was just cutting off their weapons and turning them into stalagmites again but yep <clears throat> Um, yeah, and actually, that's that's um, one thing that I do with uh, with leftover green stuff is uh, I'll turn it into rocks. Mm -hmm. um, so this is you, you finished with your sculpting; uh, it's going to harden up, and you're not going to be able to do anything with it. Uh, just turn it into a rock, and and you can. It, that's really easy to do. It's just you know, it doesn't matter. Take 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 a shape, uh, bash some edges on it, and just give it a nice <laughs> flat flat bottom. Um, and then you can use it on like even on the 20 mil bases mm -hmm. um, just to add a little bit of interesting detail um, or or what I've most frequently used it for is when, you know, there's been something that um, particularly in fine cast um, where uh, like with the tree kin or something like that, where one leg has been slightly raised and not flat enough to come down and meet mm -hmm. the mm. meet the surface of the base. Oh, I'll put a rock underneath it. What I've been using those leftover bits for since I've been working on the cast dwarfs is just rolling them into as perfect little round balls as I can, uh, and then wait for them to cure, and then chop it in half, and you have little bubbles. Those are the bubbles. Those are the bubbles in my yeah, yeah. on my lava bases. Nice, I love it. Yeah. I thought you were going to say they were going to be like grape shot or something to go beside your cannon. No, <laughs> no, I've been using them for the little bubbles. That's cool. Nice. Yeah. Good, good use. Okay, so so those are some of the, the basic things to Can I talk about another really simple technique that's useful for a couple of things? Is that um, instead of using the these main uh, green stuff tools we've been talking about, you can use tweezers to kind of work green stuff mm. into some shapes. Like if you take some very fine tweezers and just pinch a bit of green stuff and pull, you get a little like triangle shape which is perfect for two things. One of which is a lot of models, uh, especially GW models that have fur. The fur is actually like a series of tiny little triangles. Yeah. Um, so something I did was I had the Thunderwolf models for 40K. 
that mm-hmm. I wanted to use in my Beastmen army, yeah. but they have a bunch of like cyborg parts over them, um, kind of in amongst the fur. Yeah, yeah. So I'd kind of cover those up and then pinch it with the tweezers into the little triangles that look exactly like the rest of the fur nice. on those models, really. Nice and then another. That. That'd be cool. Yeah, it's, it works pretty well. Um, and then another thing those little triangles um, look good for is flames. Um, which is again something I've been doing on the on the Chaos Dwarfs, yeah. and it's again a simple technique, just kind of mash a bit of uh, green stuff onto the area you want to cover in flames, and then work at the bottom, start just pinching up a mm. um, series of these little triangles, and it looks like flames rising up yep. across whatever surface you're doing. So, and that's a, a really simple technique. It's just just pulling with the tweezers. It's basically you uh, fur fur follows gravity, flames. Ignores exactly. it. Yeah. <laughs> Same yeah. technique, just go yep. up. <laughs> down, flames up. Yep. Okay. So um, we talked a bit about uh, some of these these uh, basic techniques. Um, one thing I want to talk about um, before we before we finish up, uh, I, I think we should definitely do another another section um, about green stuff and, and go into a bit more detail about uh, um, sculpting and that sort of thing, but. But before we do that, um, and we'll do that in another podcast, let's just talk about some of the um, uh, potential alternatives to, mm-hmm. to green stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, Ricky, that about other two-part epoxies, but those are pretty much the same thing, just different brand, different color, but they work in very much the, the same, well, same fashion. Yes and no. So, like, Milliput is a completely different texture. You'll find that it... So green stuff um, is the chem. Like I guess the molecular bond on green stuff is really strong with itself. So it's not easy to really just kind of when it's still green. You still have to stretch it. It stretches before it snaps apart. Things like milliput. Mm-hmm. Milliput doesn't do that. It acts more like clay, hmm. really sticky clay sometimes. And so I, I find that I don't like the milliput, but it's a good alternative. Um, it's actually cheaper than green stuff. Um, after it dries, it tools better than green stuff, meaning you can drill it and sand it better mm. than green stuff. Green stuff doesn't sand very well at all, but milliput sands really well. Yeah, um, I, I've also seen um, milliput used um, for doing for doing like rough shapes and bulk. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's a fair bit cheaper yeah. and, uh, uh, you can get it in, in most art stores, yeah. uh, not Almost. just, not just hobby stores. Yeah. Um, you, you like, if you're doing uh, a large model or maybe, you know, some scenery or, or whatever, you, you know, something that's a, a decent size, mm-hmm. you can, you can rough sculpt it in, in milliput very quickly. Yeah. And it comes in different colors too. If that, you know, if you're gonna just prime and paint it that doesn't really matter but then there's also different grains to it um so they actually have a fine grain that lets you do really um smooth type stuff and deep really detailed stuff too um then there's the aves epoxy sculpt um i actually think that that's kind of the thing that a lot of the pro sculptors are are, have moved over to um so what's it called again aves epoxy sculpt Apoxy. Okay. Yeah, and I'll I'll give you the link. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, no worries. We'll put um, that in the notes. But it's a uh, um, they have a series of different sculpting stuff, and they actually have some that's a uh, you can buy in big tubs, so it's even cheaper than um than Milliput, and then they have stuff that's more um 
you know, fine grain that you would use for doing the, the masters, the miniature masters. Um, and then uh, moving away from the, the two-part stuff, you get into probably my favorite alternative, is which is just Sculpey. Good love, old cheap Sculpey. Yeah. yeah, I made a couple of beasts of Nurgle for Taylor in about two hours out of Sculpey. <laughs> Sculpey is is chaos. Sculpey is is even Whoa. easier to make stuff out of than than Play-Doh. I yeah, mean, it's yeah. it is. It's easier to work with than Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. It's less yeah. sticky, and then but the downside is, of course, you got to bake it in the oven, right? You Which is also its upside. Models. It's a because you can bake it in the oven and have that piece done in half an hour, yep. and then work on it again that same night. Instead yep. of something in green stuff, you have to wait. Mm-hmm. So and then it's super economical um i started when i started the the night goblin project night goblins 2.0 i and i wanted the stalagmites on every base the first unit i did was with green stuff i was like oh man this is just gonna kill me i can't you know it took a whole packet of green stuff to do that i was like that's that's just not economical and then i tried uh milliput um and i was like eh, it's a little more economical but it's i just hate working with it so much um, that I just couldn't do it. And I was like, I'm going back to Sculpey. Um, cause I can buy a huge box of Sculpey for the same price as either of those other things. Um, I'm still using that same box of Sculpey to do all kinds of terrain for sparkle parties. Um, all of that whole army's stalagmites, some display board stuff, like everything from this one box of Sculpey that's probably like 10 bucks. And it works super easily, uses the same tools bake it, pull it out, use it right away. Yeah, and, I, l- I love Sculpey. Yeah. I mean, and you can do really fine detail with Sculpey. Very fine. And um, it's it tools well after it's been baked too, kind of like the Milliput does. So if you want to sand it, you can sand it. You can carve it after it's been baked. Um, pretty pretty cool stuff. Hmm. Yep. So what are the limitations? Can you, it's, can you um, make a, a miniature out of it? You can, and some people do. The problem <clears> is, is it's not as strong on the fine scale. So if you're trying to build um, anything really fine, like oh, like an arm sticking up or something, would probably just snap off mm-hmm. with that, with very little pressure. Um, you can do armatures for it, which would help quite a bit. But um, and then you're probably not going to get quite the level of detail out of it because it um, th- you can get different firmnesses for it, but. It can be pretty soft, which mean, makes it hard to get good detail in. Yeah, but again, to do a, a rough outline and then mm-hmm. bake it, and then you can work green stuff on it right on top of very, that very yep. quickly. Yep. You know, uh, it's not a bad way to go. Yeah, and very anything you need to plan. do in mass, use Sculpey if you can. Yeah. yeah. The art of war. Okay, so for the Art of War in this episode, we are going to be talking about Fast Cavalry. So Fast Cavalry, I I think the whole idea behind the rules for Fast Cavalry very much influenced by the the Mongols, right? You know, Uh if you you read about uh, Genghis Khan... And, yeah. and the crazy arches yeah and... exactly and the faint flight and yeah. all that sort of stuff very much straight from from history there so fast cavalry um most armies have access to this not all but most um and uh, let's just go through what the actual rules are for fast cavalry before we start to talk about them mm-hmm. or how to use them so they get the vanguard special rule um which means after normal deployment and after scouts 
you get to make a, a move of up to 12 inches. Mm -hmm. And not end within 12 inches of, of someone else. Yep. Uh, they get a free reform. Uh, in fact, they get as many free reforms as they want. Yeah. Uh, even if they march, as long as they don't move double their movement value, which is awesome. That's just like skirmishers. Probably their yeah. main main advantage over regular cavalry. Yep. It's just Definitely. insane maneuverability. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, if you have a character in the unit, it must also have the fast cavalry rule. Otherwise, the whole unit loses fast cav, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, is is kind of a, a pain in the ass that you have to keep your eye out for um if you're sure. building an army list but it makes sense yeah absolutely you're minimized by the slowest moving thing person. in your in and that's your a, that's a rule across the right. whole of the of the game and then as i was just talking about feigned flight is um if you flee from uh, as a charge reaction and then you rally at the start of your next pro next turn not only do you reform as normal, but then you're also free to move and shoot um, uh, as normal during the remaining moves part of the movement phase. Mm -hmm. So effectively, there is no penalty to you for fleeing and rallying. Correct. Um, so they, did they also get to march? I think? I think you cannot march. Or can you? Does it, it just say move as normal? It That's says it. is also free to move during the remaining moves part of the movement phase. Yeah, so you can march. You, you can, can march. march. Yeah, you can march. And the unit is also free to shoot as normal, but always counts as having moved. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Which fast cav is always going to be moving anyway, so it yep. doesn't matter. Yep, so fire on the march. Fast cav can shoot uh, during a turn in which they marched or reformed, uh, as long as their weapon doesn't have move or fire. So, so like skirmishes again. Again, like skirmishers, you can march and and with fast cav, typically it's move somewhere between move seven and ten. So that's it gives a, you an insane threat range. Yeah, that's a march of somewhere between fourteen and twenty inches plus whatever range your your mm -hmm. weapon happens. So you to can have. always get it. You know, you're going to take a penalty for having moved, but you can lose the penalty for long range by getting yourself into into, into position for yeah. that. So it's kind of a wash. Yep. Okay, so that is all the rules for fast cavalry. Um, so let's talk about uh, Vanguard first because I think um, it's an interesting one. I I don't think, in general, um, fast cavalry is the only way to get Vanguard um, with the exception of, I think, some magic items. I don't think there's any other units that get it as a special rule. Uh, standard any standard. other unit type that gets it no there's certainly no unit type that gets it mm -hmm. but i mean are there, i can't think of any unit like in the game uh dwarves we talked about some they have some sure, exceptions they have some some stuff uh mm -hmm. like the gyrocopters for example which are kind of their equivalent to fast cab right um yeah otherwise it's it's pretty much your only vanguard option yep okay so so let's talk a bit about <clears throat> vanguarding mm-hmm um, how do you how do you use it, Tom? So you, in your in your Chaos Dwarf army, yeah. Uh, so my fast cav experience is pretty limited. I have in my Chaos Dwarf army a little unit of gob hobgoblin wolf riders, and then normally one or two just lone characters on their wolves who also get fast cav as well. And honestly, my vanguard I use pretty conservatively, and the reason is I found for my playstyle with the Chaos Dwarfs. I need chaff in the late game um, for kind of redirects as people are closing in on my guns and stuff. So 
for me, one of the worst things I can do is to get really aggressive with that fast curve and have it shot off the board at the the very beginning of the game. Yep. So what I generally do is I'll always drop that fast curve as my first deployment dropped, you know, to help see how the deployment's going to go. And then I'll use Vanguard just to help redeploy that unit within my own deployment zone to get yep. it in the, in the right position for the game. And I think that is a pretty useful use for Vanguard. Mm-hmm. Once Absolutely. You spread yourself thin during deployment mm-hmm. before you decide where the main bulk of your army is going, then it gives you a chance to consolidate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and in fact, uh, there's a whole tactic around that um, with the refused flank deployment, where you can you can deploy the, your fast moving units, and particularly those, uh, particularly fast cav, because they can vanguard and mm-hmm. they've got such a big movement range. Uh, where you deploy those all on one flank. Um, you deploy your slower moving stuff on the other flank, right. and then you use your vanguard moves to just move all of the units onto the flank where your slow moving units sure. are, and uh, you've effectively r- refused one flank for combat. Exactly, it's exactly the the tactic of waiting for as long as possible before you depl- before your opponent knows where your main fighting force is going to be. Yep. So just dropping fast cav in places that you're not even intending to have your your main army yeah and the advantage there is uh you know you you get an extra turn of not having to engage the army on uh, your opponent's army on their turns right you've got that it can often take them a long time to redeploy and and get over to where the mainstay of your army is Mm -hmm. so of course a a lot more aggressive way to use the vanguard um, yeah which i guess is becoming most common amongst the the elfie armies now yep and i've also seen it with uh lizard man armies where they take the uh, ripper dactyls um and so yeah the more aggressive vanguard is where uh particularly on the flanks uh you're you're taking that full 12 inch move uh moving up um as wide as you can um, and angling your your unit so that it has a, a huge field of view yeah. over the entire battlefield. Um, and then, you know, the downside of Vanguard is you can't charge if, you, if you've if you Vanguarded. If, if you get the first turn, you, can't, you can't charge. charge. Um, so if, if your opponent gets the first turn, then, you know, you can charge um, mm-hmm. on your subsequent turn. And, you know, if, if your opponent gets the first turn then they have to use their movement phase effectively responding to what you've done in the vanguard. You know, you've had exactly. this whole free round of movement that your opponent now has to, you know, spend their their precious turn um, yep. responding to to make sure they're not getting flank charged Yeah. next time around. And also, for some, there's some um, really nice shooty fast cav in the game, particularly for the, the high elf and dark elf armies. Now they both have core fast cav units that can you know pack a little bit of shooting and it's nice to get those up the field into range to start picking off enemy chaff yep uh pick off enemy chaff pick off uh living characters and stuff take pot shots at at um yep at those sorts of things and then and then even potentially uh charge in against war machines sure sure right um so um because that that vanguard alone can often can you know get you within range or even short range for your weapon so yep. then if you don't need to yep. move again mm-hmm. you can get shots off with with no penalty at all yeah for sure so um 
the the downside about taking that vanguard uh, is, of course, that you're you're then outside of usually the leadership bubble from your sure. general, mm -hmm. uh, and typically these fast cav units uh, are are the base leadership for whatever your army type right. is. <laughs> um, yeah, it, there are exceptions, right? Uh, I know in the Wood Elf Army, um, we have a couple of fast cav units that are, you know, one point leadership higher that special leadership. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, so that that's typically, you know, the, the idea is that they are lighter armored. Um, they are, are something that's going to not survive any serious attempt to take them out. Sure. Um, but, you know, typically we'll, we'll go up and, and harass and then run away, mm -hmm. right? Um, so if you think about them in your head as this is what they're for, right. they are for putting pressure and then running away when when they're really when someone tries to actually get into them, mm -hmm. um, then then you're thinking about them in the right way, right? Um, and there's a lot of stuff you can do with them um, to apply pressure before you have to run away. Yeah, um, especially for you know if um, if. If you're the one who really needs to engage your opponent, they have a shooting advantage over you, let's say, then applying like a kind of target saturation approach where you have the vanguarded fast cav already kind of up in your opponent's face and you're making them choose if they want to target some of their shooting against that unit while your actual stronger combat units are coming forward. Um, so it's it's helping take some of the pressure off your other units because there's a very imminent threat sat there right yep. up in your opponent's face already. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the fast cav options that we're aware of in the different armies. Mm. Um, so um, we, can, we can eliminate dwarfs right away because <laughs> they don't have any cavalry right. whatsoever. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but uh, all three elf armies can take fast cav yeah and they mm -hmm. all in fact have i think multiple different types of uh, fast cav i think the high elves only have they only have the illyrian the reavers. reavers i think you're right yeah so they have the reavers uh dark elves have the dark elves and the wood elves now well the wood elves have three now right <laughs> wood elves have four, four well in including well. the so wood elves have uh the warhawk riders who are fl <coughs> flying fast cav uh monstrous flying fast cat <laughs> uh they have the wild riders and the sisters of the thorn mm -hmm. and then and the they have the riders. glade riders who have ambush which is different right but they are still fast cav mm -hmm. um dark elves have the uh doomfire warlocks yeah and the dark riders right mm -hmm. um and then in the orcs and goblins they've got uh wolf riders, wolf riders. and spider riders and spiders spider riders. Mm -hmm. yep. two different types um then in um let's see what's next warriors of chaos have um marauder horsemen marauder horsemen mm -hmm. and can take um, and the uh ones that ride the the seekers what are those oh yeah the slanesh hell striders of yeah, slanesh yeah, called? Yeah. yeah yep i think those are fast cav as well yeah, yeah for sure mm -hmm. uh, and the, the marauders can take that i guess one of the only uh warriors units that can take some missile weapon they can take the javelins is Which it, is kind of nice for harassing. Is it javelins or throwing axes? Uh, they can take either. Either? Actually, I think okay. they can. Mm -hmm. um, and then the demons uh, can get fast cav from the demonettes yeah. on the steeds. I yeah. forget what they're called. Um, the the down... Seekers again. Seekers. Yeah. yeah. Seekers. Yep. Yep. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Chaos Dwarves, you guys have access yeah, to the Hobgoblins. Yeah, we got Hobgoblin, Wolf mm -hmm. Riders. Lizardmen have the Flyers. 
Yeah, lizard men have pterodons and pterodons and ripodactyls. ripodactyls. Yep. Empire um, have their pistoliers. Yep. And outriders. Outriders. Yeah. Yet. yeah. Uh, Bretonians have uh, possibly some of the best fast cav. Yeah. In Peg knights. The Pegasus knights and and the yeoman, mounted yeomen. Mm. Um, so mounted yeomen are very cheap, and the Pegasus knights are incredibly well right. armored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see who else have we not covered. Uh, well, let's see. Skaven have none. Skaven have they none. do have uh, they do have wolf rats, which are uh, um, monstrous arcanum, uh, but those are you know fast cap but scroll binding. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah. So and then the undead armies. Um, undead do not. No. No. Don't think well, so. Well, uh, don't tomb kings do? Don't they or are they not fast cap? No. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think they are. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anything in the uh, Tomb King army is is fast. Isn't <laughs> Good. That the, isn't that the whole point? Is is that they're really slow? Yeah. Um, yeah poor Tomb Kings. Kind of plod towards you. Um, For all you Tomb King players out there, we're, we're sorry. Yep. Anyway, when like the the first time that I saw Fast Cav becoming like a mainstay of army lists for a particular race was when the new High Elf book came out. And uh, they got their Illyrian Reavers moved to core, and, and um, all and of a sudden, cheap. and cheap, and Sorry. all of a sudden, every list is f- having three units of uh, Illyrian Reavers. Yeah, just fill um, your core with it. Yeah. yeah, because you know they they fill the role that Eagles used to fill for that army, not necessarily as well. And you do see some Eagles still being taken, but but they form a viable chaff kind of redirector. Plus, you know, the other roles that we've already mentioned for Fast Cav. Yeah. Vanguarding and applying a little shooting pressure early on. Absolutely. So that's when, like, Fast Cav seemed to become just, like, a, a mainstay of a particular race. Yep. And then that was followed up by, by Dark Elves, who obviously took the Fast Cav to a whole new level. Yep. <laughs> um, the, white, the, the Dark Riders kind of outshining the Reavers in, in every respect, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. And then the Brolocks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we'll get onto them later when we talk about building whole lists. I guess you don't have to build a whole list around them. No, um, but you know what? That's that's actually probably not a, a bad point place for us to go now. Um, into really the the fast the cap fast cap build. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So so this so, is where they they move on from becoming supporting units. You know, supporting your main combat blocks to becoming you know the meat of your, of army. your army. Yeah. Um, and and really, I mean. Uh, high elves um, can't really do no, it. No, unless you're going to do something crazy like dump a load of characters into a Reavers yeah. unit. But yeah, and and even even though with the high elves you you can't do that on because the uh, elven steed in the high elf book does not have the fast cav rule. Really? Yeah, and it's fairly certain that it's an oversight mm. um, because the dark steed and the elven steed in the wood elf book have it. Well, it makes um, sense. It makes sense that when you barred the steed, then yes. it wouldn't be fast cav anymore. Um, but even just an unbarred one in the high elf book. To, mm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Con- constant source of complaint for mm. those uh, uh, Asser players. Yeah. Um, so, so really, we're talking about. Uh, we've seen the lists come out for the dark elves. Yeah, the dark elves um, fast cav spam lists have been been coming thick and fast and been doing really well from what. From what I've read, yep, um, as well, and um, you know, obviously, I'm thinking about what elves. What elves are gonna? Yeah, what elves have 
blown it open to a whole new level i think yep and then i i don't know that there's any other armies Mm. that can really take a a a full list of them because of the they don't have it in core maybe Uh, goblins Goblins can. Yeah. The Wolf Riders are core. Yeah, they're core. Gob- would be Both the Wolf Riders terrible. and Spider Riders are core. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it used to be pretty viable to do MSU with them because it used to be um, if you had under a certain number of goblins in the unit, then you didn't suffer from animosity. Oh, yeah, but, you st- but there's still going to be but, chain panic throughout the army, right? Well, that many yeah. Small units of goblins yeah, but so, yeah, I mean, you end up... The, the problem with cavalry of, you know, all fast cav is either on a 25 by 100 or mm-hmm. on the big 40s um they take up a big footprint and if you have that many of them across the table yeah it's hard to get them all in your bubble but i i did see people do it in the last edition and it was pretty fun to see i used to use um wolf riders when i did my night golems the first time i used them quite a bit my my cheeky move with the fast cav was to um create um, an uninterrupted chain between the unit I wanted to hit with my fanatics and the the unit that <laughs> the unit that, that I had the fanatics in, and I would move my fanatics into eight inches, kill the the wolf riders. Who cares? It's just wolf riders. They're cheaper than the fanatic usually, but the fanatic would definitely hit, and that unit that I really needed it to hit got hit, and I could. <laughs> so pretty <laughs> solid, pretty, solid pretty pretty nasty trick i usually end up killing a unit but who cares right mm. so uh, <laughs> that's fantastic but yeah you can do it with orcs and goblins because it's in the core they're like a little fanatic pea shooter yep. yeah <laughs> that's really what it was yeah yeah um well one of the uh primary tactics that you see with the fast cav is th- is the double flea um you can do this with any unit that can flee um and you generally want it to be a cheap unit the reason the fast cav are so good at it uh, is because of the feigned flight we just talked about. So how do you describe the double flea? Yep, mm-hmm. I will do. So uh, enemy unit uh, declares a charge on fast cav unit A. Um, fast cav unit A um, takes a flea reaction. And, you know, because they're swift stride, um, they flee, you know, reasonably far. Uh, so Preferably through one of your own units. Yeah, usually usually mm-hmm. through uh, fast cav unit B. Um <laughs> Fast cav unit B uh, is then a prime target for the enemy unit. So the enemy says, okay, I'm going to uh, redirect, redirect in, into fast cav unit B. And then you say, oh, well, I'm going to flee again. And you flee through your first unit. Uh, you three flee through uh, fast cav unit A. Uh, and now that's a fail charge. Um, so there's, there's no, you're only allowed to redirect once. Uh, there's no way for the enemy unit to reach fast cav unit B because it's the other side of fast cav A, and fast cav A is no longer a legal target for mm-hmm. the charge. So that's that's how the double flea works. Um, this is a very effective way to deal with the Death Star. Um, you can basically just keep double fleeing and move all, all of your other stuff yeah. uh, out of the way. And the point is to also do it at an angle, just not directly right in front. That way they're constantly moving the direction you want them the, to go the direction you towards want the, the edge of the board yeah. <laughs> while the rest of your army can position to hit them in the rear or, or something or yeah. take out everything or just else, ignore yeah. them completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. so that, that's, that's definitely a, a key use you see for, for you know, multiple units of fast cav. And that's uh, part of the reason why these fast cav um, army lists work so well is mm-hmm. because they're just really hard to catch. Right. Yeah. So of these two, these two armies that we've identified that are really going to use fast cav spam effectively, dark elves and, and now the new wood elves, 
what what does kind of a, an army list with one of those armies look like? So dark elves, you're going to imagine the the core being filled pretty much entirely with um, dark riders. Dark riders. Yep. Uh, so for people that don't know about the dark riders, they're they're on an elven steed which has move nine. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, come with light armor. Um, by default, I believe. Yeah, and you can buy them a shield. And you can buy them a shield. I think they're in and around the twenty point mark. Yeah, um, per model. We've we've got the book. We'll look it up in just a moment. Yeah, and you can get them the the repeated crossbow as well. Yeah, which is pretty much auto take. Yeah, and that's like a twenty four inch range. Yeah, it's the full repeated crossbow now, not the handbow that yep. dark riders used to have. So, so that that gives them an enormous, you know, huge uh, threat forty two yeah. inch threat range. Mm-hmm. Um, and 54 inch if you count the vanguard move right mm-hmm. so so that's pretty, <laughs> pretty much anywhere on the board you can deploy them and they're going to be able to threaten yep. anywhere on the and board. in every movement phase they're going to be able to move in such a way that they'll be out of any any charge threat and then unleash their volley of shots yep and you know the opponent can keep repositioning to try and get a good charge on them every turn but Yep. Every movement phase, they're going to be they're going to be out of that charge arc again, unleashing another volley. Yep, mm. yep. So so that's the core. Mm-hmm. Um, now special, they don't have fast. They cabins. have no fast cabin special. Yep. So you're gonna and then in rare they have the warlocks. Of they course. have the warlocks. So you're yep. gonna take your your maximum two units of those warlocks. Mm-hmm. Yep. One probably keep it about five for a kind of um, just just fast kind of fast moving doom bolt firing fast unit. Doom yeah. unit and then the other one you see people using as so what we haven't talked about yet in, in this fast cav list you obviously have a lot of stuff moving around shooting a lot staying out of danger but you need something to score yourself the points at the end of the day you have to yep. have something that after you soften everything up with your doom bolts and your and your, your zappy zappy crossbows and, crossbows and everything yep. you gotta have something that can charge in there and actually get you the points at the end of the day and that's going to be this Second unit of warlocks, yep. Um, maybe around ten models plus um, a whole crap ton of characters. This yep. seems to be the dark elf way. The dark yeah. elf of waking, making yeah, fast cav work. They can take a hero and lord level fighty characters and give them mm-hmm. one up armor saves and and decent ward saves. Right. And so the on front, a fast cav on, on a fast, fast cav yeah. because they can get the the uh, sea dragon cloak for five up scaly skin and combine it with. Being mounted, um, being a shield, mounted, and shield, heavy armor, heavy armor, There's or even up. you can take away the shield and put dragon helm or something on. So yep. then you can have a great Any weapon as well. Armors, yeah. yeah, So a bunch of great weapon one-up fast cav characters in on initiative unit. seven. Yeah, because they've got ASF. Um, so yeah, it's nasty <clears throat> stuff. So the reason, I mean, the reason you the dark elves kind of need that is that the the warlocks themselves are not the the fightiest of of no. uh, units they're really they make a great place to keep characters because of their ward save which helps when they're getting picked off by by lookout sirs yep. so it makes a, a reasonably durable kind of lookout sir bus to keep your characters in but the characters are going to be what has to score the points for you in yeah. the combat yeah for sure um and so so i think typically what you would see it well certainly if you wanted an all fast cav list um you're taking much more than your your core allowance uh, right with the dark you're probably riders. not going to see it's probably not going to be all fast cav no you're going to see three or four units of dark riders yeah two warlocks and then a, a bunch of bolt throwers, bolt throwers. yeah because softening is is very important and taking out 
um, other highly maneuverable flying things like frost phoenixes and stuff that's going to really mess with your plan. Yeah, yeah, but um, <clears throat> the key point is you're not going to see big blocks of infantry. No, no big blocks of infantry because yeah. it's just giving your opponent something easy to focus on. Yep. You know, um, and and you've also see uh, highly mobile wizards um, either in that. Uh, block of fast cav right or or on uh like a dark pegasus with uh there's a special dark elf magic item that gives a really good ward save against shooting yeah. and magic missiles yeah the cloak yeah so cloak of twilight i believe yep um so, so or, they... or the wizard can just be kind of you know on their dark steed and just popping between units of of uh, dark cav, riders yep. where the, wherever they need to be to stay out of danger yeah so that's the kind of the dark elf build. Mm. Um, it, the the tactic is um, avoid, shoot with crossbows, avoid, soften, um, uh, magic it up. Um, that bus then... with the characters in is going to be picking on stuff early in the game that it can kill in one turn. Yeah, things like monsters and whatever that can charge in. All those great weapon characters heck it up. Yeah, but it's gonna it's gonna be prowling around looking for soft targets, staying Very out much. of reach of the big units until turn five or six really yeah after those things have been softened yep yep for sure um so it's interesting i think the the wood elf lists yeah um are are different the wood elf approach is going to be entirely different and i really like that 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 you know that they're not made, the same army they've yeah. made these two armies very viable fast cap but the wood elf build is going to be completely different yeah so why don't you talk about about what sure. tools the wood elves have so um wood elves have um they do have fast cav and core in the Glade Riders, mm -hmm. um, but these guys are ambushers also, right? which means that you're not even deploying on the first turn of the game. You're coming on from a board edge from turn two onwards. Possibly. Possibly, <laughs> yes, on a three up. Or possibly um, not. Or possibly <laughs> not, yeah. Um, so that's, that's core. Um, I think uh, you'll probably see um, a couple units um, of those um in like in like a, a fast cav build uh, you're definitely going to see a couple of units but i think you'll also see uh the good old-fashioned glade guard um mm -hmm. because of the the different magic arrows that they sure. can take um yeah. they're going to play a very good supporting role a little bit like the repeater bolt throwers yeah they replace through the, the um, bolt throwers yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they they play that role differently but that's that's the role that yeah. they're playing um where the uh the fast cap really shines and the wood elf army is, is totally opposite. It's in the special section. Yes. All right. Um, so there's actually three fast cav in there. You have the wild riders um, who are, uh, they're almost medium cavalry um, yeah. is probably the best way, the best to, way think, to describe think about them. them yeah. um, they hit like a ton of bricks. <sighs> I, uh, I experienced this already. <laughs> um, oh, uh, the they are frenzied with devastating charge, um, strength four base. Um, uh, even the the mount is strength four, so a unit of six of them is pumping out thirty attacks on the charge, um, so which sick. is in, it's it's pretty insane actually. I don't think there's any uh, no any no, any non monstrous uh, yeah unit that can pump out that many attacks. Yeah. Um, so so they are very much your your punchy. Right. Fast cav unit. So that it differs so much from the dark elves in that you're getting your your combat output from a unit. Yes, from than, rank and file troops. Yeah, yep. yeah. characters are going to play a way smaller role, at least combat wise. Yeah, in, I, in the wood elf. I think so. But. I think so. 
Um, so then your second choice is the Sisters of the Thorn. So they have a, a mechanic similar to the Warlocks in that they cast spells, but theirs are much more um, supportive and defensive right. than they are uh, uh, offensive like the Dark Elves. And so these guys are going to be, or, or, or gals, <laughs> are going to be ladies, ladies uh, are going to be primarily the uh, um, character bunker. Yeah. Right? Put your wizard in there, keep her safe, um, and, and just hop around, mm-hmm. stay in the forest. Interesting. As um, well, different from the Dark Elves, they have a little, they have a, a ranged weapon. They have yeah. these uh, poison javelins they can throw. What, yep. do you, how useful do you think that is to them? I think that's uh, good for, for taking out those, those little chaffy units that, uh, you know, like, like the Great Eagle, where a lot of the, one of the tactics with the Great Eagle is to charge into a mage bunker and just, you know, charge right into the mage. And direct all your attacks on the, on that wizard. Mm-hmm. So stand um, and shoot with those. And... Yeah, you, you can stand and shoot uh, with them, and uh, you know, uh, with the poison, mm-hmm. uh, you, you're going to take a lot of those things out. Yeah. Um, and their ballistic skill five. So you're going to hit on threes still on a stand and shoot. Uh, well, probably fours because you'll be at long, be range. A long range. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, thrown weapon. Do you take range penalties for thrones? Uh, you do. You do. You do. Yeah. It's just yeah. no still, move yeah. penalties. Just no yeah. move penalties. Right, right. Yeah. Sorry. So um, it's uh, it, it's I think they're they're a reasonable bunker. I th- yeah, I think they're a great unit. They just solve they they serve a very different uh, purpose than the Dark Riders. Yeah, you 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 are, are because you don't want it. You don't want you don't want them in combat. You want a different looking army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And and really, what I see these guys doing is kind of scuttling around in the back half of yeah. the, of the battlefield. Always um, making sure to leave the corner just in a forest, so, yeah. <laughs> so that the, the wizard, wizard gets that plus one to cast. Yeah, plus one for to sure. Cast. Um, and then the third fast cab unit you have, um, for me, flavor wise, is probably one of, one of my favorites. Is the Warhawk Riders? Pretty iconic unit for the Wood Elves. Yeah, these are these are um, effectively guys on on slightly smaller, faster, more aggressive eagles, uh, the Warhawks, um, and you know, being flying. Cavalry means you, you also, uh, you, you know, your your move range is is ten, so your your march is twenty inches. Mm-hmm. They've got longbows, so that gives them a, a 30, uh, 50 inch effective range. Um, so um, these guys, I think, are are kind of combination of of harassment and shock mm-hmm. shock troop. They're good for a combo charge sure. um, with the wild riders. One of the downsides of the wild riders is that they are frenzied. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see the Warhawk Riders um, kind of uh, sitting in front of the Wild Riders and then charging something either behind or off at a distance and allowing... All the same thing as Or the, the same thing as, as the, the Wild Riders. Wild Riders are charge, um, yeah. but, but allowing you to choose the charge yeah. rather, than, rather than not. Sure. Um, so um, I think you could quite easily spend uh, 50% of your points. It's easy to see core yeah. sections being nothing but fast cav. And uh, what else? Special? Uh, special, yeah, I mean. Yeah. Special, mm-hmm. yeah. Nothing but fast cab. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you, you'd probably have missile support from mm-hmm. both uh, Glade, uh, Glade Guard and uh and the way watchers in, but the, in wo- the, the wood elves differ so much from the dark elves in that you're spreading your combat threat out among a lot of different units and the Absolutely. nice thing about that is that whereas with the the dark elf build 
you have that one combat bus that you have to use relatively conservatively one in, the, in the early game. <laughs> yeah, in the early game because you don't want it like logged up against a load or of dwellers below infantry. Dwellers, yeah. um, the wood elves you can start using your your fast cav pretty early in the game. Like even you know sending them into a combat that they're probably not gonna win in the long term just to wipe out uh, with a unit of wild riders just yeah. to wipe out half of a unit yeah um, absolutely. in the early game and, and because i mean it, it it's um it's actually it, it kind of the msu strategy mm -hmm. um but uh you know you're you're not afraid to throw away any unit sure you can take a much more tiered approach in terms of what in terms of expendability yep you know you have you have kind of your glade riders who are completely expendable your wild riders who are expendable as long as they, you know, do significant damage to a unit. And then your sister bus who kind is of, pretty much the only non-expendable unit. Well, and even even so, um, you know, if they give up their points, it's not the end of the world because uh, it's not a huge point sink. Mm -hmm. All they're doing is protecting the wizard. The wizard can always hop somewhere else. Right. Um, and, you know, she's she's worth twice as many points as the unit. So mm -hmm. she's the one you're trying to protect. Right, right. She um, could hop out and hide in a wood somewhere. <laughs> hide in the woods, or or go into another unit. Right, you know, there's yeah. plenty of fast cav to help back her up. Yeah. Okay, so so that's kind of a couple of the main builds you're going to see if you see an all fast cav army. Yeah, um, it's likely going to be one well, of those. Is the our marauders in the cave? Where's the chaos? Are those still core? Yeah, they're they core. Are, but so... peop the warrior infantry is so dang good. And the chariots. Yeah. Warrior yeah. Chariots. People just use the marauders. I would honestly horse. probably use some marauders on a horse. Uh, Byron um, certainly uses a couple of units yeah. for, for that fast cap. Right, they're definitely not something that I would try and build my army around. Though. Yeah. Yeah. But it is something... Well, I know that in, in the last book they used to do... I you used to see them every now and then as all marauder horsemen armies mm. every now and then, but yep. this one, I guess, we won't see it quite Yeah, the so new much. Warriors But they book. still could do it. They uh, could. Yeah. And, and, you know, these... There is no doubt that there are other builds where people will put together a primarily fast cav sure. army. We're talking about the ones where where it's effective. But that's probably <laughs> one of your best choices. Well, the book. It's either one of your best, or it's it's consistently good enough that you're going to see it at competitive right. play, yeah. rather than kind of for a, a fluffy reason. Yeah, yeah. Somebody might put it together. So let's talk a little bit about how do you how do you deal with fast cav, right? Um, <laughs> Because it's tricky, right? They're so maneuverable. Yeah. Um, you know, let's take, you've got a, an 18-inch move or a 16-inch move. Um, you can reform as much as you want. Mm -hmm. So you're going in any direction and then pointing in any direction when you're done. Right. Um, Fanatics. Yeah. So <laughs> that is a pretty good way, right? Yeah. S stuff yeah. that forces movement phases to stop. Yeah. There aren't too many things like that. I mean, fanatics is definitely one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just try and get on my flank. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And and in fact, for the dwarves, you know, the oath stone is another way to help deal with that. Yeah. And it's like, you can charge me on the flank. It's not going to do any different. Yeah. Um, the the other thing is uh magic is obviously yeah. a, a key way to try and deal with yeah these magic guys. missiles are going to be excellent against the lightly armored stuff well and the main reason is you, you a lot of the time you don't need to have uh they don't need to be in your forward arc right isn't which which one which uh, magic missiles spell? you need forward arc and line of sight and what is it for is it direct damage you don't direct need forward damage arc? you don't need line of sight but you still need forward still arc. need forward arc mm -hmm. okay 
Uh, but I mean, with with magic, you can obviously move to face things and not take any penalty for it. Yeah. The way you would with actual shooting. Shooting. So. Yep. So so you can get your wizard pointing at the thing you want to destroy. Um, a a lot of the signature spells have some way to deal with Vasca, yeah. right? So your fireball. Mm -hmm. And Searing Doom, not so much because they tend to be lightly armored. Right. Um, um, your uh, Doom Bolt. Right. Um, and magic missiles often seem, you know, with the power spells out there, magic missiles can seem kind of not too scary. And they're one of the things that people will often let through. Ruby yeah. Ring or um, Ruin. So, so exactly. Yeah. I think everyone can take that. I think oh, including much. a Ruby Ring and a, a low level wizard with a magic missile is nice for a bit of redundancy yeah. you know make yeah. sure you always have something being pushed through it's i think it's it's honestly going to be a really hard thing for um big horde um infantry armies to deal with though yeah because you can't move fast enough yeah and you know you can you can try and keep your units covering each other's bases to you know keep a battle line that presents as few uh, flanks as possible. Mm -hmm. But as soon as as units start to break out of that formation at all, They'll they can just take stuff in, in every facing, essentially. And this is what I really struggled with against the new Wood Elves with my Beastmen, yeah. is that I was trying to huddle up in my leadership bubble, trying to also turn to face... Um, Wild Rider but threats. The, or... the threats that were coming in, but also make sure I was turned the right way to cast spells at what I wanted to cast at. And at some point, you have to make a decision like, I'm going to have to take a charge off that unit or that unit. I have to choose which one I'm going to get in the front and which one in the flank. Yeah. And it turns out, against the Wood Elves, I ended up underestimating the Wild Riders <laughs> yeah. and allowed them into a flank, and that was just... Just terrible news. Well, I think uh, <laughs> war machines like uh, organ guns and uh, the Hellblaster volley mm -hmm. guns, things like that, are going to be really good too for sure. some. Yep. Uh, if you're if even, your even a cannon with grape shot, yeah, yeah. Um, can be pretty good because those you know those can turn and face in in any direction, no matter where the fast cab try and move. I think this as long as they have the range to do it. They, yeah, that's gonna this this threat about. Um, you know, exposing facings to multi-charges is unfortunately going to kind of leave some armies with no option but to castle a little bit so that there's, you know, yeah. there's no faces being exposed. And as long as you have a reasonable shooting output to kind of counter-shoot the, the stuff that's coming at you, then that is probably going to end up being a reasonable tactic. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you're playing a fast curve army... Um, you know, then you have to think about how do you deal with that. How do you break into a castle? How do you break into a castle? Um, so um, there are there are a few ways. Um, flyers uh, can help. Um, you know, it, because sometimes there'll be a gap in the castle that you couldn't charge to on the sure. ground, but that you can charge. Especially to. with armies that will take you know keep the war machines behind the main infantry lines. You can yep. often just bypass over the top. Yep. That's what um, I would always do with my with my beast men against castles. The yep. harpies, the harpies can always make a charge against a cannon that's behind a, an infantry unit because they have to leave at least one inch of room, and a mm -hmm. harpy's base is less that's than an inch, inch big. Yeah. So it, you have to always be able to charge harpies in there. Yep, um, and uh, that's a little tougher with fast cav. Right? Yeah, sure. Um, because usually the flyers are on forty mil yeah, bases. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other option is ambushers mm. um, who can come on in the back line. 
Of course, your castle can be so close to the back line that that's, that's difficult to do. Um, but um, really how I would, I would probably approach it is to focus on one edge of the castle. Yeah, I think that's what you have to do. Um, and, and then try and sweep in through sweep in. one side. So, so position everything ready for a combo charge. Uh, get all of your supporting missile fire onto that, onto that unit. Um, weaken it sufficiently. Um, you want to have the next one online weakened as well, um, so that when you, if you break the one, the first one on the first round of combat, you're overrunning into something that's already weakened rather than something that's at full strength. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can set that up, that's you're in, you're in you're in good shape. You know something I think that that fast cav lists are going to also find helpful um, facing armies that are trying to counter them in this way is to have some unit of infantry in your army some like 20 man units so for for dark elves i would say like a little unit of witch elves or spearmen or something for wood elves a little unit of um eternal guard and just march them up and present a night a charge that looks so tempting to the other army and think about when you're facing an army that's moving around you zipping around all fast cav that you can't pin down you get and frustrated. all of a sudden there's this one unit of infantry in front of you you're like presenting i can themselves. kill you're something like, finally i can kill this unit they're, they're just there and you know you're gonna sacrifice a relatively expensive unit but by doing so you can Force an opposing. That's a nasty mind game. <laughs> you can... Sacrifice? Don't you? Don't you mean flee? Yeah, well, flee or whatever. But just do whatever yeah. you need to to force some flanks to be exposed. Yeah, and, for sure. And do that. Yeah, try and pry them out of that castle. Yeah. Um. Um. There are there are other tactics you can use with magic and so forth to kind of um, help open that up, but. Vortex, well, yeah, <laughs> right down the side of the castle. Absolutely, Ugh. you position a wizard that can cast a vortex on Gross. one side, and and you know, watch them move out of the way real fast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there and so so the downside of playing a fast cav army. Let's talk a little bit about that um, before everybody runs out and buys wood elves and dark elves. What should we talk about? Uh, what's the good thing about? Have we already talked enough about the good thing about playing with them? Uh, I guess it's just the, the the tactical challenge of managing such a fast. You know, you're going to have incredibly technical movement phases, and I think that appeals to a lot of players yep. in terms of you know you have to make yourself really sharp in yeah. terms of movement and thinking. It turns into a kind of chess game. Yeah, you have to think quite far really ahead. Far ahead. Yep. Um, and uh, you know the other upside is. Um, you have a lot of things to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the game, you're not just playing with six or seven units sure. tops. You know, you've got a lot of. You, you tend to have a lot of units. Each of them has its own threat range. Right. Um, you generally have a real, you know, a good uh, shooting phase um, from whatever support shooting you're taking. Those bolt throwers and the. You're playing in every phase. You're of playing the game. every phase of the game for yep. sure, and yep. doing pretty well in in a lot of those phases. Yeah. Um, so so the. Downside. The downside, uh, you know, the, the first downside is um, everything typically is is low toughness mm -hmm. and lightly armored. Right. So it dies pretty easily to anything. Um, you and did, low model count. And low model count. Yeah. Um, so you you got to spend a lot of attention ensuring you don't uh, leave yourself open to, to uh, being wiped out mm -hmm. in that way. Um, so that, that's definitely the hardest part about it. So you get punished really hard if you make mistakes. Right. Um, I think the other downside is because you have to put so much thought into it, 
like a deployment phase in turn one of the game is is going to be greater than half your playing time um, usually. So if you're playing a two and a half hour tournament game, you, you're going to expect an hour and 15 minutes before you're into turn two. Um, because at least that's that's how it's been for me playing any kind of MSU. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it tends to be, I have to think a lot about how I'm going to deploy things because if I deploy wrong, I'm going to get punished right. a lot. Um, so those are the two that, that jump out off the top of the head, off of my, my head. Anything else you can think of? Uh, opponents wanting to punch you in the face. <laughs> for, for just running circles around the whole game with your fast go. And it, it is, I don't know if, um, it seems to be starting to be viewed as another kind of negative play style alongside just gun line and things like that. Um, to have an army that is just, entirely uncatchable i personally don't think it's a negative play style because it requires a really high le level of skill in the first place to actually pull it off yep so mm -hmm. it's a skillful way of playing I, to I, a, I can imagine to a, a relatively new player coming up against that in a tournament it would it would just seem horrible kind of horrible and unfair yeah yeah i could see that um i think the the even even against a new player i mean I, and i'm by no, no means an expert but even against a new player um making that mis that one mistake and letting that charge come off that you didn't sure. didn't shouldn't have mm -hmm. um is gonna you know potentially take out a third of your points in a right. single turn it is unforgiving uh, it's very unforgiving um uh particularly with the wood elves i think because they're so lightly armored even compared to the dark elves um so um I think that's, you know, if you're if you're playing up against that army, don't don't get frustrated. Um, you know, you, one of the tactics that 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 your opponent is using is, you know, it's the shell game, right? Moving everything around, and <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah, pay yeah. attention. Right. Um, uh, I would say uh, pick your targets and eliminate units. Exactly. Pick units. Do whatever you can to knock them out, and then and your opponent's going to start sweating it just as much as you are. You know. Because it's a point, remember, for them, it's hard to get points because they have to, to pull off these multi-charges. Yeah, and always, yeah. I, I think one thing that always um, is going to help you is if you remember to make them take their march test. Because um, most of the time, those guys are on their own. They're out of their leadership bubble. Mm -hmm. um, leadership eight, maybe nine, who knows. Um, they're going to fail it from time to time. They're going to sure. fail it. And, and things like magic missiles that can force panic yeah, checks. And when they know, do fail it, that that's usually when they get caught out. Mm -hmm. So they were counting on marching next turn or, or whatever, and if they fail that, then uh, you might actually get your teeth into it. So just uh, if you see that kind of army, make sure you, you yeah. call those march tests. Turn yeah. something around and shoot them from a weird angle. It's yeah. going to make them in a direction they didn't even consider that that unit's going to be in it's going to screw yep. with the whole yeah. plan you know yeah absolutely and um you know typically these are these are units of five or six mm -hmm. so you only need to pick off a couple of, of guys in it to make it take that panic test yeah. yeah and usually if they're five guys you kill if it's just one of them you know there's they're below 25 they're not coming back they're they're running off the board now because yeah uh, yeah so yeah, it's an unforgiving play style. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, to me, I think actually playing against that sort of castle, uh, castle plus war machines is is 
uh, a very forgiving play style and is much more boring to play against because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, you're sitting there playing by yourself right. and I'm trying to, you know, move and interact. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then I'm obviously biased cause I like that style. I right. like moving tons of stuff around on the board. Um, so I, um, I think what's for me, I would encourage everybody to, to, if they haven't played a list like that, yeah. Get a game in with it. Yeah, if you have an opponent army, who can yeah. even just proxy something as yeah. that or whatever, yeah. Yeah, play it yourself, play against it. Um, it's a completely different game of Warhammer. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's probably five or six archetypes of army, and this is one of them. Um, and, you know, you should, you should uh, at least be ready to face it, even if you never want to play it yourself. Yeah. Oversized meatball. Okay, so that uh, wraps up our eighth episode. Wow, I'm, I'm pretty impressed that we've done eight. Um, so they didn't cancel us yet. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never take us off the airwaves. Um, so if you if you like our show, um, we would appreciate you leaving us a nice and shiny review on iTunes um, because that helps other people find our show. Uh, or if you hate our show, please email us and tell us what we should stop doing and what we should start doing. Um, chances are, if you've listened all the way through to this part, um, you don't hate it unless you're kind of one of those really bloody minded people. Um, but, uh, either way, thanks for listening. In which case, ignore that last comment. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to hear from you anyways. Um, you can also uh, find us on our forums at dimensionalcascade.com, uh, and our blog is on there at slash blog. And uh, reach us on the Twitter at, at Cascade Podcast. Um, I think that about wraps it up for us. And we will see you again next time in a few weeks. Yeah, we're all off to Adios. get our asses kicked by wood elves. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>